This is episode 151 of Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah. Lots going on. I don't know that we're going to be able to get through this. <laughs> well, let me just first I, say. I, I think 151 <laughs> is not going to work out. There's a lot going on. Moving God. parts. And- I, I, where, where do we begin? I'm over here with mini discs looking at, uh, at former, <laughs> former guests on the Mitch in the Morning radio program. I, I can't even believe I talked to some of these people. I have no memories of talking to Kirby Puckett. Yeah. Well, do you remember me talking to Kirby Puckett? No. So I'm over here looking at all these. I got like a box full of interviews that none of us can listen to because nobody has a mini disc player. Right. They're on all these little mini. Does anybody even know what a mini disc is in our audience? Maybe. Nobody. I had a great right. console one. I still may have it. Right. But my wife's the kind of person to donate it without asking me. And I'm going to be pissed because... <laughs> well, you're already pissed. That's what I'm getting to. Oh, well, yeah. So I'm over here looking at interviews that I'd like to... I'd like to listen to. I, I know I'm not allowed to air them on the show because the former divorcee <laughs> yeah. would not let me do that. Yeah. The ex-wife said no can do. Right. Am I allowed to listen to them on my own? Oh, no. Will they the, come over here? come right over. Right over here? <laughs> yes. Puckett will be here with a baseball bat I'm saying, looking, knock it off. I'm looking at old interviews. You're over there looking like freaking Bruce Arians and John Candy from Summer Rental. <laughs> I'm having a schwitz. Oh, my look God. At me. <laughs> you, 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 do you know what sunscreen is? First of all, you look like a freaking tomato. Oh, was it that bad? Well... Pretty bad. Okay. And second of all, I can actually see the lines of your sunglasses. Yeah, that's a problem. That started in Hawaii, and now I'm just exacerbating it. Yeah, it's not good. All right. You you got dropped over here. You've got no phone. You're no, looking for your phone. I'm a mess. You need an Uber home. <laughs> I'm looking at interviews, yeah. asking, when did I talk to Jim Brown? Yeah. I spoke to Jim Brown. Like, do you remember all Charles these or Barkley. no? Charles Barkley. No, I, I don't. I mean, do you remember some of them? Like, uh, maybe that... Right, I mean, some of those here. should stand out to so you. So here's disc number 15. I put, I put my glasses on. Here's disc number 15. I'm just, I got a, I got literally a box of hundreds of discs. Yeah. And each disc ha- has like 15 interviews. So here's disc 15. Joe Morgan from 98. May he rest in peace. Lee Jansen, I think, still alive. Lou Holtz, kind of alive. Uh, Payne Stewart. Oh. I interviewed Payne Stewart in 98. When did he die? I thought he died in 97. He came back and you interviewed him. <laughs> I mean, how does it, it's got to be like 98 or 99 then. This, I remember I was working at says, KJR when it this happened. This says September, uh, August 27th, 1998. I interviewed Payne Stewart. It's on this mini disc, but I can't listen to it. Dennis Erickson, Alonzo Mourning, George Seifert, Phil Sims. I don't know. Those I'm are some here. good ones. Charles Barkley, Jim Brown, Doc Rivers, Nate McMillan, a Valentine's Day montage. What does that mean? I don't know. It's a contest. Um, Vin Baker, Lennox Lewis, Dale Brown, Isaiah Thomas, Bob Bender. Contests. Well, that's a lot of good guests. Look at this. Kirby Puckett, Alex Rodriguez in 1999. When did he leave? 2001, maybe? I don't know. 2000? Quinn Snyder, Marcus Johnson, David Stern, Curtis Strange, Ken Venturi. A lot of these people are dead. I'm the only one still alive. (laughs) That's some good guess. All built on the tears of former producers right there. So where were you all day that you look like John Candy in Summer Rental? Payne Stewart, by the way, died October 25th, 1999. So pretty close. A year later. Wasn't that the most bizarre story of all time? Do you remember it? Oh, do I remember it? I mean, something to do with like a... Frickin' 12? Do I remember it? It was very sad. I mean, but like the details of like a plane. Yeah, it came on the morning show show it came on like the nbc morning to today show whatever that a plane carrying six people yeah including Payne stewart and including the um the agent for cortez kennedy i believe was on that plane okay 
was out was was pilotless and it yeah. was just it was zooming across Crazy. the United States without a pilot. Yeah. yeah. And they had to they were gonna shoot it down. I don't think they they shot it down. I don't think, I think they it ran did. out of gas or whatever, but everybody was dead on board. I guess there was some some um oh, air pressure situation. So creepy Super and sad. awful. Super sad. He had just won the US Open. Oh, he had man. just grabbed the ears of Phil Mickelson, the beloved Phil Mickelson, and said, Don't worry, you're gonna be a father because Phil Mickelson lost that. That's another one of those U.S. Opens that he lost to Payne Stewart. He was sad on the 18th. Oh. He was getting ready to be a father for the first time. She was pregnant. Amy was pregnant with the first child. Okay. And he grabbed her and said, don't worry about U.S. Opens. You're going to be a dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and by the way, that kid's 22. How about that? Yeah, that kid's 22. Gosh. Yeah. Anyway, to answer your question. Yes, where the... F- I was rooting on the hometown nine for the first time this season. It's uh, T-Mobile Park. Yeah, but that was at 1 o'clock. It's 8 now. We're recording this at 8, and you're giving me this facocta story about uh, some sort of a home run derby after the game. Crazy. At, at T-Mobile Stadium. Is it T-Mobile? What is it? T-Mobile Park? I think T-Mobile Park. Sta- Can we call it Safeco? No, I can't call it you Safeco. You can't, no. No, the, the, the magenta's Where, everywhere. What's the problem? And, you, and then you, and you're texting me. You didn't really want to go. You have to be there. What's well, what, what, what? You why? see why. It's a, we left our house at like noon. Yeah. It's like an eight-hour extravaganza to watch somebody else's kid in a home run contest. The kid I love, by the way, but that's a long day. Who said you had to go? Well, I'd rather stay home. Did the kid say? The kid didn't give a shit whether you were there or not. <laughs> that's true, whether I was there. <laughs> but I had to get the tickets. Yeah. And then I had to drive. My wife doesn't want to drive in there. And then we had to bring her friend. Yeah, I, I had to go. I just, I had to go. You realize that this set up beautifully. First of all, and then the other thing is you got Steve, D, producer Steve, yeah. doesn't ever want to talk to you again. Yeah, I'm sure. Because he needs to go to bed before the sun goes down. <laughs> right. And he's got to do this for cocktail pocket. You realize that you could have gone to the game, taken an Uber from there here during the home run derby, yeah. recorded the show, and had them pick you up on the way home. You yeah. realize, and then the the people that, re- is it a girl or a boy that you were watching in a it's home run derby? Piper's teammate for All-Stars. Okay, so you know who she wanted there? Yeah. What's her teammate's name? What's the first name? Hadley. Hadley. Yeah. You know who Hadley wanted there? In order, here's the order of, of importance. <laughs> okay. Piper one, yeah. Piper two, yeah. Piper three, Megan four, yeah. Megan five, yeah. Piper six, and Scott seven. Yeah. That's how important you were to be there. Well, Piper brought another teammate, their starting pitcher named Shaylin. So Shaylin's on that on that you list above me too. You yeah. could have been here. Yeah, I know. We could have recorded this. I'm, I'm we could have gotten off to Steve. He'd still be talking to you at this point. <laughs> I'm already pot committed. I'm there for like four hours. You know, I'm, I, I told her dad, I'm, we're going to stay. We're going to watch. It's baseball and softball combined. Ugh. Listen to this. There's 20 this? kids total. Who Bo- needs this? She literally hit last. Dead last in order. This is a random because order. The Mariners, no, the Mariners don't want you to do the podcast. I guess. They don't like the podcast. <laughs> I, I had to sit through the entire baseball one. I don't know any or care about any of those kids. How did she do? She did not make the top four. It's very sad. She was bummed. Okay. Because the, the top four get to move on to Pennsylvania or wherever the Little League World Series is. What's this, is. like, punt, pass, and kick contest? It's, dude, it's crazy. They, they flew the you kids know, I'm in. A, I'm like, yeah, I've heard it a few times, <laughs> but they literally flew kids in from all over the country. Like they, they, really? they split the country in half. So kids, there's a kid from nice. Missouri, Arizona, put them up at the Renaissance. Oh, but then, sure. but then the top four from the West go to the little league world series to play the top four from the East. And it's what crazy. is somebody pitch in there? They put fences out there. Yeah. Like 130 some, feet or somebody something. Somebody pinches to Hadley. Is it Hadley? Yeah, you yeah. said, and, they, and, and she gets how many outs? How many misses? Ten? Oh, well, no, it's 90 seconds. 90 as seconds. Many hit as, as many as you can. Hit. Did yeah. she hit any? Yeah, she did, but she was really bumming out. She I mean, was, she, she was nervous. 
You know I think why she was it. nervous? Because I was there. Yeah, had you not been there, she would have won. My fat face behind home plate. You, you cost her the whole thing. You and your summer red John Candy face. Oh, and Lord. summer rental. I, I never think of sunscreen in Seattle. So then you come, yeah, you got to wear sunscreen. And then you come here, you lost your phone. Oh, I'm a mess. You know, is this Steve, the tease, by the way? Yeah, Steve oh, okay. is waiting for the show. He yeah. needs to go to bed. The sun's about All to right. go down. Well, quit blathering on. Let's get this over with. Subscribe and review. <laughs> there you go. Review us on Apple Podcasts, become a Mitch Unfiltered patron for $5 a month, and have access to all the other non-Monday shows. You spent the day at T-Mobile Park. I spent the day on the golf course. The Mariners dusted off the athletics, so I think you're you're excited about that. Awesome. I would have thought you would have waited for them to, to host the Cleveland Guardians. Yes, that's right. I can't wait for the Cleveland, Cleveland Guardians. Guardians? That's what they chose? Yeah, that is what they chose. Are we going there now? No. Okay. I like the Cleveland Rockers, or you want to like that. Why? Why wouldn't I like that? I don't know. It, it kind of, I don't know if it pokes fun. Yeah, Cleveland is like no, the heart of rock and, and roll. Well, it's the Rock and Roll Hall, Hall of Fame. Yeah, 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 sure. I like Pat that, the Rockers. That's right. He is in it. Bernie Little and I were on the log boom. <laughs> <laughs> I said Bernie. <laughs> Rest in peace to Pat. We love Pat O'Day. Oh, oh, God. Man. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, Mariners won. It was great. People yeah, were tweeting fun. me, please talk about yeah. the Mariners. They're red hot. And I was like, no. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Somebody wants a, a Mariner Great game's over 500. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I'll... Okay. So this is for the people that want me to talk about the Mariners. And okay. Please don't call me cynical or skeptical. They're eight games over 500. Okay. They have now been outscored total this season by 52 runs. Oh. And they're eight games over 500. Yeah. How is that possible? How is it possible for a team to be outscored by 52 total runs aggregate and they're eight games over 500? Does that mean when they lose, they lose 15 to one? I mean, is that when they lose, they lose big? I don't know. Uh, Hey, Mitch, count me as another one who had no idea you were doing a podcast because I'm not on social media and no one told me until now. I'm different, though, Mitch, in the fact that I was better off before I knew. Same old Mitch. Blah, blah, blah. Why would anyone find any interest in this shit? Oh Bill now in Vancouver, Washington. <laughs> okay. He's completely kidding, right? I mean, that's a joke. No. I don't. Well, I don't. I, I just mean, read it to you. I don't. It's an email. How, how do I? It just seems like he's been listening. Like, how else would he know? Because he started it with count me as another one. Because we just did something on the last podcast. So he listens. On the last podcast. Yeah. I guess maybe that was his first one. I don't okay. know. All right. I take it as he's like joking around. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. God, this whole week. Why didn't you tell me this on Tuesday? I've been bummed since for five. (laughs) It's been driving you, dragging you down all week. A lot of money. I was on the top of my roof getting ready to jump. (laughs) Where were you? Yeah, I should have been here. That's not serious? I'm taking it as kind of tongue in cheek. Count me as another one who had no idea you were doing a podcast because I'm not on social media. No one told me until now. I'm different in the fact that I was better off before I knew. Same old Mitch, blah, blah, blah. Why would anyone find any interest in this shit? Bill now in Vancouver, Washington. I don't see, I don't, I don't hear any sarcasm. Oh, I don't, okay. I don't hear, but I don't hear any sarcasm. Hi, Mitch. First, let me say we love the podcast. Good. Good start. You and Scott work so well together to provide very entertaining and informative content. I also wanted to share that my husband and I finally figured out this weekend how to play Apple TV on our smart television so we could watch Ted Lasso, which was a big yeah. a big topic on episode, what, 150p this past week. You had to be a patron to get that. Yes. It was worth the battle with technology to get it done. The show is great, Mitch, Scott, and Susan. 
Yes, this Ted Lasso is sort of turning into what The Sopranos were for me and what The Wire were for me. These shows that are supposedly better than Breathing Air. The Wire was for you. What'd I say? The Wire were for you. Well, The Sopranos and The Wire, both of them together, what they were for me. Nice. May I continue? Is that okay with you? Okay. (laughs) But that's not what you said. It is. What The Sopranos and The Wire were for me. Sopranos and The Wire no, were. No, you said, you said, we can go back to the tape. You said what The Sopranos Someone's was for this? me and what The Wire were for me. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say were. No, no, no. Okay. Anyway, people yes. talk these shows yeah. up and it makes me like stay away from I, them. Now I got to go watch Ted Lasso. I know. This is Am getting I going to find it funny or not? I haven't not? seen it. I don't know. What do I know? Oh, oh you don't know. I'm saying like it, people talk it up so much. I think I'm just going to like resist stupidly. I right. punish myself for this. It's not Did you hear the 911 Oh, yes. Operator on episode 150P. We got a 911 operator for you non-patrons out there. Why? Uh, we got a 911 operator from New Jersey, a 10-year veteran, to discuss what she heard from the Richard Sherman one. Yeah. Everybody's been talking about the Richard Sherman one. Here's, a, uh, here's an email on that okay. segment of 150P. Dear Mitch, I appreciate you covering the Richard Sherman 911 call because it should be talked about. The call taker didn't do a particularly good job for sure. As a current 18-year season 911 dispatcher, I felt like a lot wasn't said during that interview that should have been. No knock on your guest. I think she did a great job answering the questions when you asked, without going overboard on details, probably what you were looking for for a patron episode, which I love that line because I don't even know what that line means. Like, for... We don't want to dig too deep because the patrons won't understand. Yeah, that's really condescending. I don't understand that. Okay. Probably. Well, he's a patron. You okay. heard it. So I guess. Yeah. Probably what she didn't go too deep. Didn't go overboard. Probably what you were looking for in a patron episode. What? Like, where, why is there a distinction? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. What does I that just mean? Love that line. Yeah. And that line means nothing. But I love that. What are we looking for in patron? Episodes? I don't apparently know. He apparently, knows. apparently, we don't. We, we we try to do something different at the patron. All right. Uh, the thing I'd like to say. Is that, and he's going to take he's going to take a, a little bit of the side of the operator here, which is fine. Okay. The thing I'd like to say is that people aren't ever educated about calling nine one one. We have in our worst moments no idea whatsoever is needed to get us the responders we so need in our worst moments. The call taker should have let her finish her initial part of the call and then asked the questions she needed to get her help. Absolutely. But as a call taker, you need to verify the location before we can even make a call to responders. We want that info so desperately as operators to get the call started that we take different tacks to get the location. Hmm. Sometimes, honestly, we take the wrong tact to get that info, he writes. So I listened to the interview and I was screaming at the top of my lungs (laughs) that she needed location, location, location. Yes, she should have let the caller tell the story, but sometimes they need to be interrupted to get the info needed. It's a very difficult situation to understand. I have an opinion on the policy about disclosure, but I'll end it here because that's a whole other thing. And I won't give his name. Okay. Well, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Because they are going into it. It's a call taker perspective. They are. He's been waiting 18 years for us to talk about. So he can (laughs) finally, finally (laughs) jump in with his profession. But it is an interesting perspective. They're just blind. Right. They don't know what's going on. Their weapon, they, they know nothing. And we all hear it after the fact. And, yeah. You know, so yeah. that is an interesting perspective. It's, I think it's an interesting perspective. What yeah. you want, what's most interesting about it is apparently I ask different penetrating questions <laughs> right. to patron guests than I do for the regular show because we wanna we don't want to go too overboard for the patrons. If anything, I feel like I <laughs> I bring my 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't have like, my A game for the Patriots. I feel like those are good shows. I don't know what the difference is. Uh, What's the difference? They're better. They might be, yes. Uh, guests on this episode want to play a little Stump the Band? Sure. Our guest number one won the 1996 gold medal in the decathlon. Hmm. 96. Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. It's bomb, the- bomb went off. Oh, yeah. After tons of heartache, he became one of the faces of the United States Olympic team, Weedy Boxes, because he became the first American to win the decathlon since the former Bruce Kylie, Jenner. <laughs> Kylie Jenner, yes. Since the former Bruce Jenner did it in, I think, 1976, so yeah. 20 years later. He is our first guest on this episode 150, and his name is? Is it one of the O'Briens? Something O'Brien? One of the O'Briens. Like there's 10 O'Briens? Well, there, there, there what, do you think I'm going to have nine of them on the patron show and not ask him penetrating questions? <laughs> you start with Ken. Ken <laughs> O'Brien. Kenny O'Brien. <laughs> um, Dan O'Brien. No. There, yes. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Because there, there were two, and there was a big Nike push for him. Do you remember that? And this doesn't mean the show's over, but it should be. <laughs> it was over before it started. But there was a big push. Like Nike had a big push for two of the, both of them. Do I remember? Okay, Jeez, so, you uh, think uh, maybe we discussed sorry, the Reebok yeah, commercial? I forgot you had Dan versus Dave, Dan and Dave. Oh, I thought it was Nike. It was Reebok? No, it was Reebok. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dan and Dave. Dan and Dave, right, right, Dan right. Dan and Dave. Okay, And then the they answer. both blew it. <laughs> well, he blew it. Don't you, you don't recall that? One of them didn't go to the Olympics, I thought, right? He's from he's from the Portland area. He okay. went to the University of Idaho, and he was going to be the greatest American yeah. decathlon ever. He went to the 88 trials, didn't make it, but he was young out of Idaho. He had a troubled upbringing, a little bit of a troubled upbringing, and we get into that in the interview. Okay. Uh, and then in 92, that's the famous... So in... In 91, Reebok decided they wanted to do, yeah. they wanted to pull two obscure Olympians, but one of which was going to be huge someday and start this campaign, Dan and Dave. He was supposed to, he was earmarked. He was the, he was going to win the 92 gold medal. Yeah. And he went to the freaking Olympic trials in New Orleans where he was a foregone conclusion to not only make the team, but to win the gold medal because he's the best in the world. Yeah. And he didn't make it because he couldn't pole vault. He kept on, he couldn't get over the bar in the pole vault and he he set it too high. He had a choice. Do you remember any of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a choice of where to set it and all he had to do was get a qualifying jump and he's on the team and he missed it three times and yeah. didn't make the team. And Reebok's going, what? Right, yeah. I totally remember that. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was supposed to like be the guy. I, I, and then he was me, if I know the name of a decathlete, he was big. So... That was 92, and then the question was, is he going to quit after the heartbreak? Didn't make it in 88, 92, stayed with it, yeah. made it in 96, set world records, nice. went to the 96 games, and won the gold medal. Greatest athlete in the world in 96. Maybe there is a little something to pressure being put on athletes. I mean, it was a- Listen to the internet. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's guest number one. All right. Guest number two, Randy Mueller, former uh, NFL GM of the year, training camp stories. What was Mike Holmgren's apartment like in Cheney, Washington, when they ah. trained at Eastern Washington University? Interesting. And who broke curfew the most? Oh. What names of Seahawks? One, he's going to, you are going to fall out of the chair that you're listening to without your phone <laughs> yeah. tomorrow because you don't have your phone. <laughs> right. When you're listening, when he, he's going to utter a name from your past and you're going to go, oh, I wouldn't think that he would ever break curfew. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I'm curious. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, and what's the deal with Jamal Adams? He's going to give us his professional opinion on the Jamal Adams, Seattle Seahawks um, negotiations, negotiations. Jim Callis, MLB.com, Major League Baseball Pipeline. He's the quintessential minor league slash draft guru. He's going to tell us how the Mariners did in the draft okay. and where their farm system ranks now that they've got all these new guys. 
I okay. did. I did love the coach. I mean, we never talked about the coach of the oh, first round you pick. Like Kevin, he was great. And he who you get could, the feel Harry Ford. You get the feel he, he likes Harry Ford a, a little, little bit. bit. Yeah, a little. I mean, who did he compare him to for the Buster, Giants? Buster Posey. <laughs> he might be better now than Buster. If you get what seventy five percent of Buster Posey, you're yeah. loving it, right? You real you realize how good that coach would have been if I had him on a regular Monday show? Oh man, I, mean, I would have dug deep. <laughs> that would have been great. Before we begin officially episode 151 Hot Shot, of course, a few words about our partners. Training camps open all over the NFL this week. Our Beat the Boys competition is on the way back, thanks to John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. Great partners. Begin and end your search for a brand new fireplace at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. You've heard me rave for years about Jordan Flowers and his team of mortgage professionals in Kirkland. Well, big news is coming on this episode 151. The entire team has been in incredible demand with companies all over the country, and they have a new home. Stay tuned for that. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza from Tacoma to Bellingham, uniquely Northwest with the best craft beer selection you'll find anywhere. And by the way, you can have your favorite beer still delivered to your door by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. And Daniel's Broiler has a big problem. It needs employees hiring across the board from busboys to waiters to hostesses to bartenders, full-time, part-time, whatever you'd like. Danielsbroiler.com or just stop in at any of the locations. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. This is episode 151. I like it. And it starts now. Unfiltered. Maybe right now the two biggest sports stars going right now. In terms of popularity, who are the two guys that people are talking about the most right at this moment in the world of sports? Giannis would be one of them, yeah. right? Yeah. And Shohei Otani would be the other one. Unfiltered. Let's move the opening ceremonies yeah, fine. <laughs> up a couple of days so that we can start the competition after the opening ceremonies. They called the freaking opening ceremony. <laughs> it's crazy talk. How dare you? It's like going out for the coin flip. Russell Wilson or Geno Smith going out for the coin flip, and it's already 10-0. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 151 now officially underway. We're a bit uh, fashimled. Yes, we You don't are. have a phone. Oh. It's late at night. Steve wants to go to bed. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it. Here, want me to pull another one? Let's pull another one. Yeah. Oh, another disc. Yeah. I'm yeah, a, I like it. Yeah. Like like a uh, a lottery ticket. Like a, I'm gonna put. Yeah, it's like bingo, sort of. Yeah. There's like sixty of these. All right. I hope I don't pick a bad one. <laughs> All right, that one. Steve have... Kelly, the Seattle Times. No, <laughs> Steve Kelly's nice. That's terrible. Okay, this one says I got to put my glasses on. Bob Arum, Lou Pinella, Olden Polonese, John Cooper, Ohio State, Joe Tiller, Sean Alexander, Phil Sims, Joe Hamilton, Harold Reynolds, Pat Gillick, and Al Bernstein. I, oh, good guests. There you go. You used to have a hell of a show. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> but, I, but I wasn't on any of those shows. Somebody was filling in for me. <laughs> okay, that's good. They did a hell of a Fish interviewed all those people perfectly. It was great. I'm sure he did. Did you say Lou Holtz? No. Lou Holtz was on a preview. Oh, show. okay. Yeah. Nah, never mind. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, I got to say one thing. I... Uh, so happy I didn't set my alarm to watch the USA basketball team. You probably have it on your at 5 a.m. Have my list was what I was going to lead with. Oh, you were. I was going to tell you I have not oh. watched. I, I have not seen one freeze frame of Olympic coverage yet. 
I just oh, what, I have. I've been really, really busy with uh, my wife out of town and the the son going to basketball and baseball. Yeah. I have literally not seen a highlight oh. or anything. Maybe I shouldn't admit that. Well, that's okay. I mean, uh, I mean, that's more something you admit on the patron shows. You don't admit that here. <laughs> that's right. But uh, so that's what I was going to say. I'm not, and so I, I see where they lost to France already. Imagine. Well, am I not supposed to tell everybody because they're going to see it on TV? Like, no, it, it forty eight five a.m. I think. 40, yeah, it was on the Peacock Network. No one saw it. Yeah, I think the end, me. I think Greg Popovich paid for it to be on the Peacock Network, <laughs> so, so no one would see, see it. <laughs> I mean, to France? Oh, come on. You you don't realize how good France is. I don't care if the Eiffel Tower starts at center. <laughs> France? Come on. I think I'm out now. Remember how much I, t- I told you how much okay. I love USA basketball? Look, look. You can't you can't stop this team. You can only hope to contain them. <laughs> Yabuselli, the, the forward, had six points. <laughs> Nicholas Batum, you know that name. Rudy Gobert, you know that yeah. name. Eric Fournier had 28 points. He's in the NBA. Oh, but 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 critical roles were, pay, were played by uh, Decolo, the guard, Cornelli, the the forward, Fall, Poiret, my favorite, Luawa Cabarro. <laughs> I saw that show last Luawa year. Luawa <laughs> Cabarro went one for six, zero oh for three from three point land. Oh man! And you know that group that I just named beat Draymond Green, Adebayo, Levine, Levine Lillard, Durant. Tatum, Middleton, Booker, Holiday. And they even got love off the team, so you can't blame him, right? <laughs> God. Unreal. It's snap- Is it bad that I'm happy? Yeah, it's bad. You should not be happy about this. There's something about I mean, Greg Popovich is the freaking coach. You don't like him? I, I, it's an NBA all-star team. Yeah, better. Should, I, I told mean- you we should be playing the college guys. I kind of like the fact that France beat them. Is that anti-American? I suppose that's kind of is. Yeah, I don't like. To, I don't want to live back. in a world. I'll where, edit that out. I don't want to live in a world where France is better than the U.S. at basketball. They're not better. What did what did Durant do? Four for twelve, one for six, <laughs> ten points. Two. The guy scores fifty in his sleep <laughs> against the world's greatest <laughs> players, and he can't beat Evan Fournier for more right. than ten points. Every t- every head coach in the NBA is going to be oh, calling God. this this France coach to get the game plan on how to shut down Durant. Yeah, it, it's tw- they snapped a twenty-five-game Olympic win streak yeah, for the U.S. That. I saw that. Yeah. After that, you're going to watch this? It's going to be on like later. No, of course not. No, no, I'm not you don't, give- you're not. You're not. You don't want to see the train wreck? No, not at okay. all. Okay. But I, I'm. I guess I set them out. But I guess I'll watch the next one to see if they can somehow beat. What have you watched? Morocco or something? Uh, I've watched some women's softball with Piper. Okay, I think they were three and zero last I checked. But yeah. Don't the thirty-eight-year-old starting pitcher. Oh, you told fine. me about that on the patron show, but I didn't dig too deep. Go ahead. Watch some table tennis. You did. Yeah. China is always very good. The U.S. kid didn't was Forrest really good. Did Forrest Gump win a gold medal in the in, in, <laughs> in, in, in table tennis? I don't think he went for the Olympics, but he went over there and won like the world championship or something. Yeah. Remember that scene? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I remember Forrest Gump very well. But yeah, then he came. He had like an endorsement with him. He was he, like being paid, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was really good at he, table tennis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and football. Oh, Alabama yeah, and Crimson that's Tide. That's right. Kick yeah. returner. He was one of the best. Yeah, so some table tennis, some softball. I don't want to pick a fight with what I'm about to say. So I was, that's, that's what I was going to leave with, so I'll just go to number two okay. on my list for, for segment number one. And I don't really want to pick a fight, and I know this is going to lead to some hurt feelings. Okay. But the Kraken, they're getting killed. What do you mean? Oh, people are, are laughing. They're getting oh. abused in the press. The Kraken, they're no good. The Kraken and Ron Francis, the general manager, they got absolutely killed by the press after their expansion draft. And now they've had the big draft and they got a C for that. All right. It says that 
It says, um, with the process now complete, this is just, I, I don't know where I read this. I, I, I grabbed, I, I copied and pasted. With the process now complete, or at least almost there, one thing for certain is that each and every NHL GM learned a lot from the last expansion draft and the nightmare that was the Vegas Golden Knights entering the league with a golden ticket in their clutches. That is each and every GM except Ron Francis. The Kraken failed spectacularly in the expansion draft, writes Yahoo Sports. And then uh, the grading system came out, not that I know or anybody else knows about this stuff, but the Kraken kick, they got a C. The Kraken kicked off their first ever NHL draft as expected, selecting top forward. We talked about this, Beneers from Michigan, yep. to build their prospect pool around. Although, after this pick, though, the Kraken's draft was less than exciting. They made Riker Evans the first overager. Do you know what an overager is? I should know that. Didn't I'll find out. William Tell right one of those uh, off the board, taking him much earlier than expected. Ryan Winterton could be a good depth player as well. But overall, the Kraken left a lot of skill on the table in their first draft. But Beneers could be so good enough to carry the class. All right. No. Well, I mean, so they they got a C for the regular draft. Yeah, and they got ridiculed in a number of different places again. I don't know anything about hockey, so right. I'm just reading this stuff. But everybody was making fun of what they did. Like, apparently the <sighs> night, so the Golden Knights, did, I don't know if they, they didn't win it the first year, but they went to the finals? I think or did they, they went to the finals. Went to the finals. I don't think they won it. So they were great the first year. Right. And the, and everybody's saying the Kraken are good. Like, this group is going to be the worst team maybe in NHL history, <laughs> in history the first year. Great. They're supposed to be terrible the first year. All right. That's what Seattle needs. Another, I'm just another struggling you. team. What do I know? What do I know? That's all I got. Did you like the whole, the, the way they did the, dra- the draft day with Peyton and Kemp and the fanfare Could and all they that? get Kemp a shirt that fitted? <laughs> fit? Good luck. The guy's enormous. Did you see that shirt that was on him? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I don't care how big he is. I know. He's Sean Kemp. You asked him to be a part of the expansion experience. Yeah. The celebration that was the NHL expansion draft on Lake Union or where the hell, wherever the yeah, hell I they were. It was Lake Union, yeah. If you have to put your logo on a tablecloth to put it over his head, do it. (laughs) Don't make the guy go out there looking. Did you see what he looked like? That was terrible. And that's all the Kraken's fault. Right. Look at us coming down on the Kraken. They haven't even played a game yet. Well, I mean, come on. You got to defend Sean Kemp. Put I mean, the game's like five sizes too small. That that T-shirt. I would have just passed. But it looked really nice. It looked, and I wish him all the very best. <laughs> I do. The I do. I, I, li- cool. I, I like the fact that there's hockey. I don't want to feel like Debbie Downer, but you yeah. know, I'm just making points. If, if they are horrendous, do you think people will fade away from the, no. the fanfare? Well, all, they or? can't be horrendous for three or four years. I mean, in like in the first year, are people going to give them a break in the first oh, year? Oh, of are course they we are. Lose interest. The the, the, the thing. And look, I, again, there's you're, you're, you're actually fans. asking me NHL questions, and that's it's not more of a fan question okay. than it is. Well, NHL. I think what happened. I think the Vegas thing ruins it. I see, yeah. See, if we didn't have the Vegas thing, everybody would remember how bad the Seahawks were. Right. Everybody would remember how bad the Tampa Bay Bucks were. We just expected everybody to be would, bad, be, yeah. would remember how bad the Seattle Mariners and Toronto Blue Jays were. Are. Oh, sorry. No. Were. Gotcha. Yes. Were. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, everybody would remember how bad Hadley was in That's, the freaking. Oh, poor thing. <laughs> Not going to be happy tonight. I, I think, yeah, I think the euphoria of having the NHL, the new arena, the excitement, I think overrides by tenfold how they actually do on the ice. 
See how I threw that in there on the ice? Yeah, on the ice. Yeah. That's nice. Okay. I got to relearn hockey. I, I I knew a little bit about hockey Didn't when I was in like college. you have like a friend or? Yeah. Took was... me to the Boston Garden to see him. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Went yeah. to Buffalo to see them play in the odd. Yeah. Is that the same friend that went to the Dolphins game with you and wore the... <laughs> and he had like a Patriots shirt on it? Squish the fish. Squish the fish. Yeah. That's the same friend? Okay. I don't want to discuss it. Gotcha. Sorry. <laughs> so you're going to relearn hockey. That's good. Maybe I'll try. I got to relearn hockey. Okay. And I think it should start with what's an overture. Can you have that ready for the uh, the other stuff segment? You bet. Yeah. While I'm like reading old interviews off of mini, mini discs and people are saying like, what the hell kind of podcast is this? He's reading names of people that he can't play, that he can't interview on his, on his show. You, you, you sometimes, but I wish you'd slow down a bit because I kind of want to discuss the guests maybe a little bit. You just kind of yeah. burn through them. Okay, want me to go through one more? Yeah, yeah, grab one. Before we go to the guests? Is it spelled overture like... Um, overture. Did I say overture? I thought it sounded like overture. Overture. O v e r a g e r. Maybe I maybe I mistyped it or mis. I copied and pasted it, so it said overture. I guess it's just a position. An HL. Yeah. What's an overture? Oh, it's a player who is older than the maximum age permitted in a junior league. Oh, I don't feel bad for not knowing that. Yeah, I did feel badly. For a second there, but see, you saved me. I didn't get on the roof. That's right. I, like you could have done on Tuesday when I first read that one email. Do you want me to pull one before yeah, we go to the? Pull a mini disc. Let's see how good the uh, the producers were back in the day. Oh, they were good. How many tears were shed at the uh, expense of getting these great guests on? Uh, let's have a listen. Let's, have, let's see what I got here. The sad part is how many have passed away. How many producers? <laughs> <laughs> I killed a few. I mean, the Kirby Puckett and Payne Stewart. Oh and my God! Bunch. The first name here. Just died. Okay. Paul Westfall, dead. Oh, wow. I forgot about Paul Westfall. Is Mike Fratello still around? Is he the czar of the Telestrator? Uh, yes. He is, okay. The, the czar. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Along with the fight doctor. Um, <laughs> all right, let's see here. Uh, Billy Packer, Butch Henry, Lee Corso, Jim McElvain. Jim McElvain. So what year is this, like 98? This, is, uh, this, doesn't, have, this doesn't have a, a year on okay. it. Okay. Uh, Brent Jones, Bob Bender, Matt Millen, Kevin Mawai, Warren Moon, Dick Stockton. On that one. Let's see here. Here's one. Caden McNown. <laughs> Quarterback? Here. Yes. Uh, Bob Brenly, Lawyer Malloy, Lenny Wilkins, Dante Culpepper, Sugar, Ray Leonard, uh, Phil Fulmer, Darian Gordon, Dennis Erickson, Tommy Bowden, Kevin Kennedy, Ricky Waters, Joe Jerezinka. Donovan McNabb Joe and Bobby Zinka. Bowden. Yeah, that's that's great. That was a good one. That's a hell of a football season right there. You had <laughs> Phil Fulmer from Tennessee on there, Bobby Bowden. There you go. Some other uh, college we coaches. Had some, we had some great guests. Oh, man. Used to be something. Yeah. Yeah, back in the day. <laughs> I used to be he something. He really used to be something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, three guests and then the other stuff segment? Yes, sir. Hey, look who we've captured again on Mitch Unfiltered. Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat off the golf course and the fishing boat to chat fireplaces and garage doors. How's everyone doing, John? Hi, Mitch. Doing great. Again, as I've said before, we've been super blessed to be in this market and uh, be in the building and retail industry, and our customers continue to bless us with lots of businesses. Uh, again, just working through delays that manufacturers might have, but we think good communication and then having some patience, uh, we can get a lot of these things installed for people. It's funny John, you think of fireplace conversations as wintertime discussions, but the truth is, 
like with us here at the house, it's now, right, that you start the planning process to change the look and feel of your home for fall and winter. Yeah, I think it's the great time. Depending on the kind of project you're doing, it takes a little while to make some selections. You know, we come out to your house like we've talked about before. You come into the showroom. So there are times that go along there. So if we can be patient again, like we were talking about, uh, we can look at stuff. We take our time to really pick out the things that we need to. We'll help guide you and make sure you make the right selection. But it does. It takes the pressure off of getting it done in the fall. Boom. When that first winter day or that fall day comes, you have that nice warm fire place in your home people who listen to unfiltered know that a few years ago you guys also jumped in the garage doors business how's it going tell us about that arm of your of your work it's doing great as well uh it's very very busy in that industry it's a little bit different most garage doors are steel so the steel index has gone up so the pricing has been a little bit more variable we just moved our puyallup location to a Sumner location so we could stock more for our customers to make sure we can keep those lead times down fantastic start your shopping whether it's a new indoor or outdoor fireplace or new garage doors you got to start your shopping with an amazingly loyal supporter of us here on Mitch Unfiltered, Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. And Dan O'Brien. Well, he put on a little flourish there at the end. There is no way that Olympic or world records are going to be broken. Dan O'Brien has got the big one. In 1996, our next guest was at the very pinnacle of the sports world, Atlanta, Georgia. He was a three-time world champion, then became Olympic gold medalist in the decathlon, the world's greatest athlete, and here he is now all the way from Scottsdale. I guess Scottsdale, Arizona is where he makes his home, Dan O'Brien. Hi, Dan. Howdy. Thanks for being on. How it can't be 25 years already. I'm, I, I must be doing the math wrong that it's 25 years since Atlanta. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? It just it just doesn't feel like it's been 25 years. You know, I think all right, maybe a couple Olympic cycles have have kind of gone through, but here we are. You know, it's wow. just clear back in 1996. It just it just flew by. Wow. What's it like? For a guy like you to watch the games all these years later, you must have a unique perspective when you turn on the television. Yeah, I certainly do. Um, you know, I, I think the first thing is you miss being out there as a, as a former athlete. Those were the best times for me were, you know, wearing the uniform, representing the, representing the United States at not only the Olympic Games, but World Championships. And, you know, there, there's just a, there's just an excitement, air of excitement in the, in the entire Olympic year, the entire Olympic season. And, and, you know, as we get them started now, you know, I, I'm, I'm even thinking as a fan, it's like, finally, yeah. you know, these things are going. So it's got the, the athletes certainly have to feel that way as well. The fact that there's no fans there, well, do you think that will impact some of the performances in let's say track and field where you guys run a little bit on adrenaline? I think so. You know, we may not see the, the, the world records that we might expect in the 400 meter hurdles, both men's and women's. It, what's interesting is the crowds weren't huge in Rio for the, for the, for the sport of track and field, but athletes this season have already had a chance to run in some empty stadiums in Europe and in the United States. And so I don't think it's going to be as a, as big a shock for them. Um, I, I think, I think again, though, you know, 
athletes are you do this and then you look back at those moments throughout your throughout the rest of your career throughout the rest of your life and to and to not have stands in the fans I, I think that's that's going to kind of hurt the optics, I think, as, as we get four, eight years, 16 years down the road. Dan O'Brien is our guest. You know, Dan, your story, I told you before we started, your story has always not only been interesting, but inspiring to me because, like all of us, been some real ups and downs and admirable perseverance. I, I'd like to start at the beginning for those that remember you fondly. They may not know the story. You were adopted, one of eight kids. Is that right? Did you ever know or want to know or search out your birth parents? You know, interestingly enough, out of the eight kids, uh, six of us were adopted. My mom had two biological kids and they were in their late teens when she remarried. And um, she and, of course, my adopted father started adopting kids. I was the second kid adopted. My sister, Karen, was was four years old. I was adopted when I was two, and then my parents adopted um, babies in back-to-back years a couple a couple of years later. And then we picked up um, some older, uh, a couple of older Korean girls mm-hmm. um, when I was nine, ten, eleven years old. And it was really interesting growing up in the family. But a number of the kids in the family did seek out their their um, biological parents. But you know, I, I as a kid always just was satisfied. I was really happy with, you know, the where I was in life and and I I just never really had that that biological yearning to find out who who are my who are my biological parents. And then and then as I got a little bit older, it became apparent to me that you know, this was this was my family and even if I introduced a biological parent element to it, it wasn't going to change a whole lot. And so, you know, I just, I just never felt the need, but I certainly saw that in other people, other people who have been adopted and, uh, and brothers and sisters that I've had. Portland, Oregon, Henley High School. I read an article where you were described as a one-man track team. That's not surprising. Uh, people wrote and said that you could be a star in any sport. That's not surprising. Why track, Dan? Uh, were you a football player? Were you a baseball player? Were you a basketball player? You know, interestingly enough, people ask me, you know, what was your favorite sport? I loved basketball. Basketball was, you know, I I enjoyed it because you could play it every day and you could play a game every day and you didn't really, it didn't really affect you physically, but basketball was one of those sports that I played. I played all four years of high school. I didn't play football all four years. I didn't run track and field all four years of high school, but I did play basketball. And then even when I got to college, I played pickup games. Um, the coach at the university of Idaho asked me to walk on, you know, I certainly wasn't going to be a starter by any means, but I enjoyed the game so much. I definitely practiced and I got, and I got pretty good at it while I was in college. But I think the sport of track and field really connected with me because uh, I was, I was a small young teenager when I was 13, 14, 15, I just wasn't very big. And track certainly was one of those events that you could do and just not be, you know, not be overly large. I pole vaulted and long jumped, but it wasn't until between my 10th and 11th grade that I really grew a lot. I grew almost to six feet tall. 
Um, but I, you know, as I started as a freshman, I was probably only five, two or five, three, but I grew a lot between 10th and 11th grade. And as soon as I hit that growth spurt and I got some real good training under my belt, I was always a fast kid, but that size just took me to another level. I didn't play football till the 11th grade, just because I wasn't big enough. I played in junior high a little bit, but you know, just kind of, it just, just sat the bench, but it wasn't until my senior year coach put me at wide receiver. I was first team all state wide receiver and really enjoyed the game of football, but I don't think it was really enough time for me to, you know, develop as, as a great football player and seek out a college scholarship. But by the time I got through the 11th grade in track and field, I knew that that was going to be my ticket to a scholarship in college. Did you know decathlon or did you think hurdles? You know, I, I didn't think decathlon long-term. Decathlon was one of those things that I did once a year um, just to kind of test myself in all the different events. But when it came time to fill out your college, you know, your college questionnaire forms for the different schools, I put all the events. And that was the one thing that, that really attracted me to the head coach at the University of Idaho, Mike Keller, is he saw, you know, I not only listed the 10 events, but I ran the 300 hurdles and I triple jumped. And so, you know, I had quite a few different events that I was familiar with. Dan, the University of Idaho, you just mentioned, and we'll come back to, to Mike Keller, who was such an important figure in your life for so many reasons. Uh, the first time around at University of Idaho, not very smooth, not very easy, not so good. Tell tell our audience about the missteps and how you look back upon those, where are we, 30, 35 years later? Sure. You know, I coming out of high school, I think from an academic standpoint, I should have been a junior college kid all the way. I just, I got average grades in high school. And then when I went to a division one school, I just wasn't ready for the academics of it. The academic, uh, just, I think the intensity of it. Um, I show up at the university of Idaho. I'm on scholarship. Um, I, you know, I'm required to go to study table, but you know, honestly, you know, sitting through large, you know, sitting through large group lectures, um, taking my own notes and then, and then, you know, studying for those tests where, you know, nobody was taking, nobody was taking role. You know, I, I didn't have hardly any classes where, where I was actually required to go each day. And so when I found that out, you know, I, I you know, you think, Oh, I don't need to go to every single class to, to be caught up, but I, I got behind really quickly. The first, the first semester, and then the second semester. I mean, and right away, I was in the hole. When you fail any course, it just puts you in the hole immediately. And so, I struggled to get to get my GPA up. And then for the next year, I, you know, I fought, just fought and fought, and took took probably the wrong courses uh, for me because I just I just needed to I needed to get my GPA up. And so what I, what ended up actually happening is. I got to the University of Idaho, and then the first year I redshirted. The second year, uh, I didn't get my GPA up, so I lost my scholarship, and there was no scholarship there for me in the third in the third year. And so I had to pay for school on my own, and still just you know because you're paying for school on your own. I wasn't on the track team at the time, you know. I just I got sidetracked with other things, and and you know what those other things were were just you know just uh, uh, social events. You know, I I, I was I was someplace. Uh, every night of the week, you know, whether it was a fraternity or a bar downtown and the drinking age was only 19 years old. And so I really got off track. And, and you know, I kind of attribute that to, you know, it was my first time really being away from home. I hadn't, you know, I had I'd lived, uh, lived in Klamath Falls, Oregon with my family till I was, you know, till I was 18 years old. And so it was all new to me. But I, I think I look back on it now and think uh, when I failed at the Division One level, 
I lost a couple of real quality years of, of academic, you know, of, of eligibility. But when I finally did go to a junior college, Spokane Community College, um, it really helped me gain my confidence back. I got my grades up. Uh, I ran really well. I, I did seven events at their conference championship and won five out of the seven. But I came back to the University, University of Idaho, a, a different person, a different man, a much more mature individual. And literally, you know, of those of that time that I spent there at University of Idaho and, and Spokane, Washington, I only competed, you know, I only was eligible one year at the Division I level. And yeah. um, I had a good season my last year at University of Idaho, but um, I finished that season with an injury. So I didn't, I didn't ever come away uh, with a national championship. So 1988 comes next. Olympic trials, I think hamstring injury. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct. But, but as I read it, as I read up on it before you and I visited even though it ended in disappointment and you weren't able to get to the 88 Olympics, it, there was some sort of validation about that 1988 run. You, 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 at some point during that run, looked at yourself even in the disappointment and said, I've got what it takes. I can do this. Yeah, 1988 was a, was a real turning point for me. I was at Spokane Community College. I had one, you know, Coach Coach Hartman, Dwayne Hartman, who was the head coach at, at Spokane Community College. He just welcomed me with open arms. And, you know, he's, he's certainly a guy I'll never forget. He was so instrumental in me getting back on track. And literally, I just I was kind of dropped off on his doorstep, and he he took me in and said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna create a space for you, but we're we're gonna get you on back on track. And so I was able to do that. But I I won a number of events at their at their conference championships. But then I got a chance to go to Santa Barbara to try to qualify for the Olympic trials in 88. And my, I had a, I had family who lived in Santa Barbara. I stayed with my aunt and uncle uh -huh. and I got, I got qualified for the Olympic trials on a last chance qualifier. And I scored, I think I needed to score over 7,700 points. I managed to do that. And I was on my way to the Olympic trials. And although I didn't really have a shot at making the team in 88, it was just a wonderful experience. You know, while I was, while I was at those Olympic trials in Indianapolis, you know, I see Carl Lewis, you know, long jump 28 wow. feet 10 in a driving rain. And then yeah. a few days later, Flojo breaks the world record in the women's 100 meters. And I just thought, wow, you know, I've, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I won the 100 meters as the first event in the decathlon. And then the long jump, I had some hamstring issues throughout the season at Spokane. But on one of my first, uh, I think it was my first long jump, I felt my hamstring pull. And once you, once you get a hamstring pull in the decathlon, you know it's a long ways to go. And it's probably a little far-fetched that you're going to make it through all 10. I ended up bowing out after, after my final jump. But... When I was at the Olympic trials, I got a chance to meet Jackie Joyner Kersey and her and her husband Bob Kersey, and we had a long talk on the practice track. And you know, Jackie Jackie said, "Well, you know, what, what do you do?" And I said, "You know, I you know I'm here as a decathlete, but man, I'll tell you what, if I could just hurt a little bit quicker, if I could long jump a little bit farther, I would move out away from the decathlon." And Jackie and Bob both agreed. They said, "Don't try to get out of it." You know, you're right where you should be. Um, you could be the you could be the best decathlete not only in the United States but in the in the world. You know, and that's and that's missing right now because the scores weren't really high. I think I think it took you know 83 or 8400 points to to make an Olympic team that year. And and I'll never forget that conversation. And you know the the decathlon is over. I'm on a plane going home, and I decided on that plane that I was going to no longer try to get out of the decathlon. I was no longer going to try to, you know, just concentrate on one or two events. But to that point, I was 
wanting to be like Carl Lewis. I wanted to run the 100 meters and the long jump and just do single events. But after I left those trials, I really created a mindset. It's like I wanted to follow in the footsteps of Jackie Joyner Kersey, and that was be good at the multi-events, but also be good at other events. And, you know, that, that meeting right there, just changed the way that I thought about the decathlon. I called called myself a decathlete. And three years later, believe it or not, I was a world champion. Okay, that's right. 1991, U.S. Nationals, world champion in Tokyo. 1992, it's a foregone conclusion. Dan O'Brien is going to go where? Barcelona and win gold and become the first United States gold medalist since Bruce Jenner had done it famously. And then there was, as, as the people that are old enough in our audience remember, Dan, the infamous, I call it infamous, Dan and Dave Reebok campaign. Life is short. I watched some of them, by the way, getting ready for you. I rewatched some of them on YouTube. Life is short, play hard. Was that series of commercials that made you a household name? If you aren't, weren't already a household name, you were after those commercials. Was it a good thing or bad thing in retrospect? Well, when I look back on the Reebok ads and the campaign, it was a good thing. Good you know, thing. And, good thing. Okay. and even now when I look at it, you know, and people ask me, would you do it again? Absolutely. You know, we were getting a chance. Dave Johnson and I were getting a chance to, to see what it was like to be, a, you know, a, an NFL star, an NBA star. Um, you know, that was, that was what we got from that. Um, you know, we, we, we brought attention to the decathlon. We brought attention to the sport of track and field, but Reebok's objective was to take two unknown guys in an unknown event and break into a new market. Reebok hadn't, didn't have a presence in the running industry really at that time. And so they tried to break into the running and the training, uh, cross training industry. And they used Dan and Dave to do that. And even though, you know, I didn't go on to win the gold, I think Reebok was very successful in that. Um, it was a lot of fun. You know, Dave and I got to, got to live the life everybody dreams of, you know, we sat courtside at the Laker games and, you know, we signed autographs at sporting goods stores. Yeah. And, you know, I make a joke about it, but Dave and I, we were so famous. We went on the Arsenio Hall show. (laughs) (laughs) My by the way, my favorite of the, of the group, there was one where you had Dan's dentist. Who are you rooting for? Who's going to win? Yeah. Dan. Uh, Dave's pastor. Who are you going to root for? Dave. And at the end of that one, it's a Dan's ex-girlfriend. Who you like? Definitely Dave. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was a great campaign, and we all remember it. I know it might have been somewhat of a distraction, but then we graduate to what had to have been the, the, the most crushing I want to say professional, obviously you weren't a professional, but the most crushing moment of your career, 1992, we all remember it if we're old enough so very well. I guess it was New Orleans. You were a foregone conclusion. You were going to go get gold in 1992. And then at the Olympic trials, something happened. The pole vault eluded you. Was it a strategic issue or a performance issue or both? You astonishingly did not make the team. And I wonder if you would compare for us that flight home after realizing that, oh, my God, I'm not even on the team. What the adversity felt like compared to many years earlier that we just discussed the adversity of being out of college and and having personal issues and trying to figure out the direction of your life as a younger man. How how do you compare and contrast those two moments in your life, Dan? Well, I I think the one thing that 
not doing well in college, losing my scholarship and, you know, going through that adversity early on prepared me for the moment that I would, you know, that I would ultimately have to experience later. And uh, I think, I think anytime you fail or have to face adversity, it's a, it's a, it's a test that you, that you don't forget. And still to this day, you know, not making the 92 Olympic team, I look back and think it was, it was the biggest motivating factor for me just to be just to be better, to be great, to win the next world championships and, and to go on to win an Olympic gold medal in 96. And so, you know, what's, what's interesting is, you know, I got to New Orleans and I don't think at that time in my career, you know, I, I went to the 90 Goodwill Games. I went to the 91 World Championships. I didn't have a lot of experience at, at big meets. I had been to some big ones, but I didn't have a lot of experience. And so, you know, everything was really, really new to me at that time. And so as I went through the different events in the decathlon at the Olympic trials, nothing in my thought process was ever just be good enough, just make the Olympic team. There was never a point where I thought, Oh, my goal here is to just get on the team in every decathlon up until that point. It was always push yourself, just, you know, get a personal best, uh, continue to continue to improve, push your score up, push your score up. And so after, you know, I don't make the Olympic team, I look back and think, well, I didn't have to do that. You know, all I had to do was just don't make any mistakes, right. just get on the team. But it was, it was a number of different things. So it was, it was performance issues. It was, it was dealing with stress and pressure like I'd never felt before. Um, but I think uh, more than anything, you know, it caused me to really reflect on what went wrong. How did it go wrong? Um, uh, what do I need to do to, to overcome this? And what I saw in that moment was, you know, just, just pure inexperience, absolute pure inexperience. I was at that track two months earlier. I ran on that track. I hurdled on that track, but I didn't pole vault on that track. Oh. I was there for a big camp, a big visa clinic, and I had every opportunity to take my pole, run down the runway, plant the pole in the same area I was going to be in two months later for the Olympic trials, and I didn't do it. You know, I didn't take advantage of that. And so that was one thing as I moved forward. I always tried to make a point of saying, get on the track and compete once or twice or get a practice on the facility that you're going to be competing on. And, and that was, that was a, that was a tough lesson to learn. You know, when, when I didn't make the, when I didn't make the bar on a third attempt, I mean, I was, I, I was, I was in shock. I was just absolutely lost. And I had to, I had to live through that. Not only, that weekend, but that summer, um, I think maybe the hardest part of that was dealing with everybody else around me. Sure. I'm an athlete. Sure. I'm, I'm ready to win right. as much as I'm, I'm ready to lose as much as I'm ready to win. And you have to be, and you have to be ready for that. I lost a lot of things, you know, growing up in, in the, in the world of sports, but Oh my gosh, my, my family was devastated. My friends were just wiped out. And, and so I felt like I was trying to make everybody feel a little bit better about it because certainly I felt bad about it, but you know, nobody felt worse than, than the people around me. You know, my coaches got blamed and, and I mean, from a, it was, it was wrong in every respect from a strategic standpoint. Yes, I could have come in lower, but I had to look back and say, well, why didn't I jump well that day? Well, there are a number of things, you know, they changed the, they changed the configuration of the pole vault pits. They, they made them bigger. So, uh, for safety reasons. And so that changed my depth perception. And, you know, I, I look back on it now and just think, why didn't I pole vault that day? 
two months earlier. I would have got the experience I needed on that runway, and I would have been much more comfortable. But it was the first time. But, now, I mean, talk about a learning experience. And But not only just from the standpoint of you don't make the teams, like where do you go from here? How do you pick up the pieces and move on? And luckily I had a couple of great coaches, you know, Mike Keller and Rick Sloan were were there. Um, I was ready just to, you know, pack up my poles and say, okay, you know, I'm not going to do the last two events. But my coaches said, no, we're going to go out there. We're going to finish this thing. Right. And I think up until that point, I had I had dropped out of a couple of decathlons where I might have been trying to break a record and I wasn't going to get there. And so I didn't finish. But that 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 decathlon showed me, oh, you, you know, you have to finish what you start. And so I, I did the final two events. And that was the best thing I could have done is just finish that decathlon, shake the hands of the guys that won. And, and because of that, you know, Jackie Joyner called me later that evening and said, you know, she was really proud of the way that I handled it. Um, she gave me some great advice on, on how to move forward. I, I got a call from NBC. I went to Barcelona and, and broadcasted. I mean, how do you go to Barcelona and broad after all of that? That must have been just so bittersweet to be there. What was that like as a TV commentator? Well, it was. what's interesting is the decathlon is really stressful. And so the morning of the decathlon... I wake up and I'm not stressed. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying Barcelona. I'm having okay. fun. I'm, okay. I'm going to events and, you know, I got a chance to, I got a chance to see what the Olympics were like before I actually competed in them. And so I think because I got that experience, you know, I was even more hungry in 96 to, to get my turn on the track and perform at a high level. Um, it was a little bittersweet, but I'll tell you, I was so inspired by what I saw on the track. You know, I saw Kevin Young break the world record in the 400 meters. You know, Derek Redmond, the great the athlete from Great Britain. I mean, he pulled his hamstring. He limped around the track. We were all in tears. It was just every, every, every night we went to the track, it was something really inspirational. And so so I think I needed that to kind of take my spirits to another level. And so when I was at the Olympics, um, Mark Murray from, from the Decastar meet in Toulouse, France, he said, Dan, you must come to France and do the Decastar meet. And I thought my season was going to be over after I didn't make the team. But, well, I'm getting back on the horse and starting to train for a world record attempt later in the summer was the best thing I could have ever done to finish that season. I walk out of there with a world record and, and not only was it a great way to finish the season, it was a great way to start the next season. And that just, uh, that really changed everything for me was to go over there and just make this, you know, Herculean effort because I wasn't in my best shape, but I still was, I still just really on pure adrenaline and, and just will, I, I walked out of I walked out of Toulon's France and the Decastar meet with a with a world record. So this amazing story, which uh, had such heartbreak for the for not only Dan O'Brien and and all of his friends and family, but all of us United States fans of Dan in 1992, it turns into one of the great endings. Well, not endings, but one of the great chapters that we've ever seen. 1996, it all clicked. You were in Atlanta, and the dream was finally realized in your home country, Dan. What was it? It must have been really special to, to finally get there, win gold, be the greatest athlete in the world, and do it all in Atlanta, Georgia. It really was special, and it was special because, you know, it, because it was in the United States, but also I took every opportunity to enjoy all the aspects of the Olympic games. I got to see other people compete. My wife and I were there when the, when the gymnast won the Olympic gold as a team. Um, we, we saw swimming and weightlifting and wrestling. And, you know, I just, I couldn't wait for it to be my turn. 
And, you know, then, then a couple of days before I'm set to compete, you know, the bomb goes off in Centennial Park and I'm just like, oh no, they're, they're, they're trying to take it away from me. Right, right. <laughs> and I thought maybe, you know, maybe they're going to, they're going to have some delays. They're going to, you know, things are going to happen, but the games went on and luckily, um, luckily I just, I, I found myself, you know, I found myself at a hotel right next to the stadium. I wanted to make sure I was close. I wasn't going to miss a bus. I, <laughs> nothing was going to happen and, and take away that shot for the Olympic gold. But it was just, it was, it was glorious. And, and I'd say that, you know, I didn't have my best competition. It wasn't, you know, I didn't break a world record. I scored very, very well. Um, but just, you know, I think about the things that happened throughout that competition and, um, you know, I only won one event out of the 10, a uh, young German by the name of Frank Boosman. He had like eight personal bests and he was breathing down my neck the whole time. But, you know, I got a chance to watch Michael Johnson break the 200 meter world record when I was on the track. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was a fantastic experience, but when it was all over, yeah. That was when I, I think, you know, I really sunk in. It's like, wow, this really happened. Yep. They gave me the award just moments after I crossed the finish line in the 1500 meters. And we were the last event of the night. The 1500 meters in decathlon was the last event of the night. And um, 100,000 people stayed in the stadium oh. to, to watch to watch those awards and to watch that, that to watch that U.S. flag go up. And it was it was just so special. That was that was that was just, you know, of, you know, I got to win the gold, but I got to share it with that many people in the stadium. The 1,500 meters, by the way, your least favorite of the events, correct? <laughs> yes, yes, my <laughs> least favorite, but I, I had to find a love for it throughout my career. It, uh, it, it helped me win a second world title. It helped me, it propelled me to a world record, and, and you know, it was one of those things. It was kind of a, it's kind of a little bit of a, it was a painful victory lap at the Olympic Games. <laughs> Injuries didn't allow you to defend in 2000. Are you at peace with that? You know, uh, not so much because I, I would have liked to have gone to another Olympic Games. And I, I certainly look at the opportunity in 1992 as, you know, the one that got away. Yep. Um, you know, as, as I got into the year 2000, you know, I tried to I tried to change my, my training location. I trained in Arizona here a little bit and went back and forth to Washington State University. But what I what I realized is. You know, when I was the best in the world, you know, I had a coach that was every bit as committed to to the process and and winning that Olympic gold medal as I was. And, you know, it's it's certainly in the decathlon. It's not something you can do 85 or 90 percent effort. And, you know, it, life goes on and, you, you, you know, you don't get that opportunity. So when I go to an Olympic Games now, you know, I remember sitting trackside in London and I thought you have to be willing to put your life on hold for 10 years to be an Olympic athlete. Um, whether you go to one Olympics or two Olympics or you try to go to three, it's just your life is essentially on hold. And so when your life come, you know, when you, while you're trying to go to Olympic games, you know, people are graduating college and yep. they're going on, yep. you know, they're, they're, they're going to work and they're, you know, having families and everything, but Olympic athlete, his life is certainly on hold. And, you know, I, I wanted, I was past the age of 30. I wanted to, I wanted my life to move on, but I also wanted to go back to the Olympic games and just wasn't in the, I think I just couldn't create, I couldn't create that training group and and kind of a training system here in Arizona that like I had up at uh, Washington State and the University of Idaho. Wheaties boxes, street, <laughs> streets named after you, Idaho track and field venues named after you. What's uh, you wrote a book? What's uh, what's the life of Dan O'Brien been the last? 15, 20 years. Catch us up. What's it like to be you? You know, moving away from the sport uh, was difficult for me. 
it was it was the thing I was best at. It was the thing I enjoyed the most, getting up training every day, going after that goal that I had set for myself and just having that mindset. I knew exactly what it was I was trying to accomplish. And after I won the gold in 96, it was like, all right, what, what, is, what am I going to do now? Right. You know, that goal was gone. So it's a little bit, a little bit heartbreaking. But when I actually decided to retire from the sport and that was, you know, in 2000, 2004, you know, it, it took, it took some years for me to find things that I was passionate about. I, I managed to get back into coaching. I started coaching at Arizona State in 2008 and did that for quite a few years. Um, but I didn't go around the sport for a little while, and it was just, you know, it kind of hurt that I, I wasn't there. I mean, when you're the best in the world and all of a sudden you see somebody else be the best in the world, it, it, it doesn't sit well with you. Um, but it, it was, you know, it was just a, I've, I've been through a life of transitions, you know, and it wasn't until, honestly, till I wrote my book, and finished the final chapter that I really looked at myself in the mirror and said, okay, you're no longer a world-class athlete. You've moved on from that. And, you know, it took, it took a long time. So I, I look at the years, you know, I, I, I lived in Scottsdale. I played a lot of golf and, uh, you know, enjoyed, enjoyed myself, but I didn't get a lot done. And I just wasn't as driven as I was as a competitive athlete. And so it wasn't until, you know, 2012 that I really started to look at, okay, what, what is it that I want to do in my life? How is it that I want to make a contribution? And, you know, I continue to work with the U.S. Olympic Committee, USA Track and Field, but I got to, I got part of a group that just had a vision here in in the Phoenix area, uh, a group called Legacy Sports USA, and it's been our goal for the last 15 years to build one of the biggest sports parks uh, in the United States, and and uh, we are managing to do that right now. It took really? us years to get the funding together. Yep. Wow. So so I'm I'm the I'm the executive vice president. At Legacy Sports USA, I'm in charge of I'm in charge of performance training, general fitness and health, and in uh, six months we're going to open our doors in Mesa, Arizona, wow. for a, uh, with a with a brand new 320 acre sports park. We're going to keep all our club kids home, and we'll be the we'll be the one of the largest operating sports park sports parks in the United States. Define sports parks. What is it going to look like? So we have 30 soccer fields, a dozen baseball fields. We've got almost a million Amazing. indoor square feet wow. uh, for, for different activities, dance, cheer, gymnastics, uh, volleyball, basketball. We've got 40 pickleball courts. Um, we've got a, the 20,000 square foot e-sports e gaming arena. Um, I've got a 25,000 square foot performance center and then another 20,000 square feet of, of general fitness. And so when you think about a large sports park, you think of the wide world of sports at, at Disney in Florida. Nice. And this is, you know, this is going to be 100 acres bigger than, bigger than the wide world of sports. There's nothing like this on the West Coast. And it's just a, it's a, it took a while to get together, but you know I got to give it to I got to give it up to our fa our founder Randy Miller and his family because they just they never gave up on the dream they they always tried to include me I stuck with them and and here we are we're building this thing and you know it's on to another chapter but just like being an Olympic athlete we're hoping to give kids in our community people in the Phoenix area or people that come visit us from out of state an opportunity to leave their legacy. And uh, we just, you know, we understand just the power of sports and the power of sports within a family as well. So this big family sports entertainment park is, is uh, you know, a dream come true for all of us. All right. So last question for you before you run on me. And here's the rule of the last question. You're not allowed to answer with the word nothing. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you've wrestled with so much. You've wrestled with disappointment. You've wrestled with issues within the family you've wrestled with alcohol and you've come through 
time and time and time again and culminating in 1996 and your professional successes now. So I ask Dan O'Brien, you can snap your fingers and change one thing. Remember the rule of the question. You're not allowed to say nothing. You can change one thing. You can go back in time, maybe as a kid, maybe as an adult, maybe as an athlete in 1992. Maybe you tell me, I want to pole vault a lower level in 1992. I don't know what it is. What is it? You can snap your fingers and change one thing going backwards. Wow, just one thing. You know, there's. You can I'd, have two. Love, you, you can have two or I'd three. Love a, you can have two or I'd three. I'd love a couple. I'd love okay. a couple do-overs. You know, go, go ahead. I'd love to. I'd love to do over my freshman year at the University of Idaho and okay. take my take my academics a little bit more seriously. Okay. Because that was a real struggle for me, and I, I think had I just, you know, had I made just better decisions my freshman year, I would have been in a different place. And I think when if if I had been eligible that freshman season, competing at the national level, I would have I would have walked out of college with a national championship, maybe a couple. I would have got my Olympic career started a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. and then I don't think we would have had the, you know, I would have had the difficulties in '92. I would love to go to back to that pole vault competition in 1992, drop that bar down to, <laughs> you know, four meters 60 at least. And, and it, you know, that's only 20 centimeters or 25 centimeters lower than I started. And, you know, uh, but that day I just wasn't vaulting well. I'm not sure I would have made, I'm not sure I would have made 14 feet that day, but you know, those, those are two things. Okay. I just, you know, I, I feel like that, um, that my time in college could have, could have been, much better spent. However, you know, I, I did, I, it did put me in a position to surround myself with, with the people that I could, that, that helped me become successful later. The great Dan O'Brien, 1996 gold medalist, Atlanta decathlon, the greatest athlete in the world during that time period. And it's really, really great of you to spend so much time with us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you so much, Dan. Continued success. I can't wait. My next trip to Arizona, I'm coming to Mesa to see your park. So I'm, I'm thrilled for that that'd be great and you know I, I know you guys are up in seattle but i gotta just i gotta give it up and say go cougs you know <laughs> go usa and go cougs thank you dan great to visit with you all right you too thanks well i've been teasing a big announcement for weeks here on mitch unfiltered from my main man jordan flowers J flow and his kirkland mortgage team i can wait no longer our listeners can wait no longer no more teasing jordan flowers joins us now to tell us what's up. Hi, Jordan. Lay the news on us. Hey, Mitch. Hey, phenomenal job keeping things quiet here the last couple of weeks, but setting out a tease. My entire Kirkland team, including my production team, myself, have moved to Cross Country Mortgage, a powerhouse in the mortgage business. A little bit larger than even the previous company we were at, <laughs> and we are excited to be here. <laughs> Cross Country Mortgage now is the place, but it's the same old team. What does that mean for Mitch Unfiltered listeners in terms of service? You know, it's an opportunity for everybody here to just take service to the next level with the clients, control more of the process from start to finish, quick return times, more products for both our clients and our partners financial advisors, real estate agents to offer more buying opportunities and refinance opportunities for them. So everybody here is excited. And rates are dropping. Rates are dropping. Yes. The Fed kind of put in this silly little half adjuster uh, late last year that impacted refinancing. They got rid of that about a Friday ago. So rates are actually back down into the mid to upper twos on refinances. So anybody that thought they might have missed out on a 30-year fix in the twos, now might be the opportunity and time to give us a call. 
How's the old team feeling about your entire group changing teams? Well, you know, I love everybody back there, and <laughs> they were, they've been great to me, and they got great things still to come. Uh, they will be missed. They will be missed, and hopefully uh, I am missed. Rates are dropping. They are still the same old team that gets you the best numbers on a refinance or a new purchase. No longer the old guys. Now Cross Country Mortgage and Jordan Flowers team. And the phone number where we find you, Jordan, still the same. The same cell phone, right? That cell phone will not change. 425-890-2957. Cross Country Mortgage. A new and terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. The Seahawks in their offers have already come in at the highest paid safety. Justin Simmons jumped to the top of the market for the Broncos. They're willing to go higher than that. So I, to me, they're in the right realm already. So I believe at some point before the start of the season, this gets done between the Seahawks and Jamal Adams because they're where they should be. He has really high expectations for what he's going to bring to the team and how he's going to help out. But he also has a really cool uh, thought about and approach about it that he knows he has to earn it every step of the way. You know, it's hard to believe NFL training camps opening all over the country. I remember traveling to Cheney, Washington to host the old radio show from Seahawks training camp. I can't say that I looked forward to that on-location event. Here's longtime NFL personnel man and my friend GM Randy Mueller. Hey, Randy, how are you? I'm doing great, Mitchie. Good to be with you. You bring back the Cheney memories. I love it. I was the only guy who loved to go to Cheney, right? Because it was close to home for me. It was an hour from where I grew up. So when Mike Holmgren came, we had not been there in a while. And the fact that he wanted to go back to Cheney made my day. It was awesome. You have to settle the long-standing rumors and urban myths. What kind of an apartment, what kind of a room <laughs> did Mike Holmgren have in Cheney, Washington at Eastern Washington University? Put an end to this right here on Mitch Unfiltered, Randy. Well, there was some lore around it, that's for sure, but <laughs> I'm going to stick up for Mike a little bit because I had a place right next to him. <laughs> when he said to me, we're not staying in the dorm and we're going to Cheney and you're going to have an apartment next to mine, I said, where do I sign up, man? Let's go. Are you kidding me? It was awesome. So he had a bike and I didn't. So he got to work out a little more than I did. But yep. it was a great setup for us. And, uh, you know, it was it was a good football setup, no doubt. Okay. You, you did a lot of training camps, both with the Seahawks and the Saints and the Dolphins. And I may be forgetting something. You must have – everybody's got a good training <laughs> camp story. You know yep. what our audience likes. Our audience on Mitch Unfiltered loves – great stories and you gave us some great ones last time with the Walter Jones draft I don't know if you remember that people right. loved your storytelling from the last time give us a good training camp story Uncle Randy come on tell us a story <laughs> well I'll tell you one that has to do with a few of the topics we just talked about people might not know this but I started out as a ball boy when I was 17 years old with the Seahawks so I spent five summers as a ball boy as a camp aide kind of working my way through the system when I was going to college and then I got hired out of college full-time but that was five years later mm -hmm. one year I think it was maybe 78 or 79 I remember I had a 1956 
Jeep Willie CJ five, right? I mean, it was old school, baby. It was a metal top. I would take the top off it for summertime yeah. and I would take it to Cheney and the, and the guys loved it. Right. All the players I had used to have a sign up sheet, right? They wanted to borrow it at night to go to Spokane and, <laughs> and, and drag Riverside and Randy's 1956 Jeep. Well, one day, one night, the ball boys and I, well, maybe not one night, maybe a few <laughs> nights, but one night we went to Spokane in it and we might've run the streets a little bit and we came sneaking back into Cheney. I don't know what it was maybe two in the morning or something like that and i remember pulling up actually the last mile or so into cheney we were being followed by a car with bright lights and they were brightness big time right mm -hmm. and i'm thinking what the heck and i pulled in in front of the dorm at 2 a.m and at that time we were ball boys and we had curfew right so we were supposed to not only be in the dorm we we're the ones doing the checking so we pulled in in front of the dorm with the Jeep, we bail out like we're going to sneak in the back door and the bright lights car parks right behind us. Uh -oh. This big figure gets out of the car in the dark and walks up to us. It's Jack Patera, <laughs> the head coach. And I won't say exactly what he said, but th it, it, I'll give you the rated G version. He says, you guys are mine. I'll see you in the morning for up downs oh, when we stretch. Oh. And the next morning during stretch, Jack had a deal where we'd do up downs. All the whole team would do up downs. Up, up downs. Well, he had us ball boys come up front and lead up downs. Oh. And he had a few extra in there. And needless to say, the players were pissed <laughs> because he blamed the, the extra up downs on us as ball boys. Damn so, straight. Yeah, that was it. Sorry. Long, long story. No, but that I love was, that. I love that. <laughs> okay. You got to give us a name or two because now the statute of limitations are up. Who were the guys that we would remember, Seahawks fans will remember, that pushed curfew, that got caught, got, uh, or was it everybody? I mean, I mean, was it everybody or were there, were there a couple of two or three that were usual offenders of curfew, Randy? Well, I don't know about offenders, but the ones that had the most fun with it are the guys that that the folks and the fans all know best guys like Rabel guys like Sam Atkins, yeah. you know, uh, those kind of guys, yeah. even Largent to a point, those guys would, oh. were, were famous with, with not skirting curfew as much as setting up the guy checking curfew. And there's all kinds of stories about those guys <laughs> uh, posing for the checker to come in the room and to give him something to think about. And the curfew thing was fun. That's for sure. And, uh, and we didn't have too many guys that were out running the streets at night, but you couldn't hide in Cheney or Spokane back in those days. That's for sure. <laughs> because the big bright lights would be behind you on your way in, yeah, Randy. No we doubt. know that. So this week marks the start of the Seahawks training camp. And as of the time of this recording, who knows by the time we, release this show there could be news on Jamal Adams but no Jamal Adams extension just yet the obvious story of the year was making the rounds a couple of days ago I got a kick out of it that the Seahawks are reportedly prepared to make him the highest paid safety what did we say oh. as kids no <laughs> duh we used to say no <laughs> duh um, yeah. where, where do you think this is headed what do you think is going to happen if there's no deal before training camps open? Give us a sense of where Randy Mueller thinks this is all directed. Well, obviously, there's two sides to every coin, right? And I think in this case, what people need to remember is he does have a contract for this year. He's slated to come in at, what is it, $9.8 million or That's something right. like that, which yep. is a decent raise off of what he made last year. Yep. So really, the dispute, if there is any, and really, the Seahawks could use a tag next year. So you're talking about 23 Really, if Jamal Adams wants to play and the Seahawks want to play hardball, he's going to have to play for nine, eight this year and whatever the franchise tag is next year, maybe 12 million. So that's probably the start of the negotiations, right? I guess the other side of it is, and I've heard this through the Jamal camp, you know, they, they view him as not a safety, but a playmaker and a, 
you know, Bobby Wagner type. And then I know they're looking for 18, 19 million, something like that. Right. I just don't know why the Seahawks would do something like that when they don't have to. Uh, obviously, they do want to reward him. They do need to sign him. Um, but he's worth, you know, whatever the market value is. And in this case, the market's determined by the franchise tag. And he's not going to get out from underneath the safety label. That's for sure, regardless of how many sacks he has in one year. So I think they're probably the Seahawks have yet to make their best offer. I think when it comes down to it, they'll have to do that. But I, I know Matt Thomas, he, that's the Seahawks cap guy. He was with me with the Dolphins. He was our cap guy. Mm -hmm. So I've known him for years. He will at some point make the best offer there have on the table to make. And he's not going to really withhold anything as camp goes on. So it's going to be a deal where if Jamal wants to play for, you know, the 9.8, great. Right. If he wants an extension, here's our best deal. I don't think holding out is going to get him more money is what I say. So when does he put that best deal, Matt Thomas, on the table for Jamal Adams? And then Jamal Adams just has to look at it and right. decide, am I coming in now? Am I coming in next week? I'm assuming they wouldn't take that off the table as he misses training camp. I guess he could be fined X amount of dollars per day. Maybe you tell me that yeah. the Seahawks could take that best offer off the table. Would they give him that best offer on the day Wednesday, the day before training camp opens, or would they wait until we get going a little bit? Well, as as we who have negotiated many of these deals say, nothing happens till there's a deadline, right? Yeah. Deadlines spur action. So I would imagine they're going to give him a day or two to to sort it out, but the, the best deal they'll have goes on the table. Maybe it's Monday or Tuesday mm -hmm. and he has time to figure that out. Like you say, these training camp fines for holdouts now with contracts are 50,000 a day. Right. And those aren't, um, they can't go away. Those aren't negotiable. Those aren't forgiven anymore. That's something new in the CBA. So he's going to have to determine how important it is, uh, you know, to, to be in camp on time and to take what the best deal he can can get is. And he should take anything that makes him the highest paid safety, whoever that is. I don't know if it's Buda Baker anymore yeah. or somebody in Denver. I don't know who it is, but it's something like 15, 16. It's right in there. He's going to want 19 or 20 because he's more yeah. than just a safety. You're saying, hey, you're the Seahawks. You say the highest paid guy right now is... 15-9, here's 16 and a half average salary or 17, take it or leave it, and he's got to make a decision at that point. I would think so. I think there comes a time in any negotiation where, you know, the posturing goes out the window and the Seahawks have to play hardball. They're right. going to throw out their best deal. Right. He's got to either take it or right. decide to play for the 9-8. Again, I don't think a holdout is going to increase his value. The Seahawks aren't going to wake up a week later and say, oh, man, we're missing Jamal Adams. We're going to up our deal. That's not going to happen. One last question on Jamal Adams, and then I'll ask you a few other Seahawks related. We'll play a little game called yay or nay. But before we get there, is there any pressure from around the NFL, from other teams on the Seahawks not to blow the doors off of the safety contract? In other words, okay, the Seahawks are going to give him the highest paid safety contract of all time, and they pretty much should. Are there other teams, would the other teams be disappointed in the Seahawks or put pressure on the Seahawks not to go too far above whatever it is so that you don't make everybody's life miserable trying to sign safeties from here on in? Or does that not exist in the NFL? Oh, I think it exists. I think there will be a lot of eyes watching it. I think the pressure comes from the standpoint of what Jamal Adams really is as a player. A lot of football people are wondering that as well, because we 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 kind of just throw out the fact that he should be the highest paid safety in the league. But there's a lot of teams that 
don't probably believe that. Right. And again, I'm not disparaging Jamal Adams. He's, he is what he is and he's probably best that he'll ever be in Pete's defense, but there's some deficiencies there when it comes to coverage. And we've kind of been through those before and, and, that's limiting to me. So I don't think there's any way they should go to some crazy number, but I think they know that they're going to be reasonable about that. Okay. But yeah. The other, the other guy, other teams in the league are going to be Watch watching. It. Yeah. Yay or nay with Randy Mueller, the former GM of the year in the national football league. I'll fancy. I was going to say yes or no, but it's uh, Mitch unfiltered. It's too fancy for yes or no. We need, <laughs> we need yay or nay. I'll throw out a comment. You tell me yay or nay and give me a, an observation. Okay. Sure. Yay mm-hmm. or nay. This is the final Seahawks training camp for Russell Wilson. Randy, I think nay, I think he will be back, but I think there will be a lot of discussion. I'll be honest with you. That one, I'm a little lukewarm on. I'm not sure how much I would bet on that one. I think, I think the best thing he has going for him is Pete and Pete's age and how long he wants to coach. I think that's his best carrot to play because I don't think Pete wants to start over with a new quarterback. Okay. Yay or nay, the cornerback room CB as in, opposed to QB cornerback room is a real problem for the Hawks. DJ Reed, Akella Witherspoon, Trey Flowers, the rookie from Oklahoma. Obviously, um, Griffin is gone to Jacksonville. That's the real problem. Yay or nay for the Seahawks? It's one of them. Yay. I mean, they're, they're not as good as they have been there in the past. No doubt about it. They're inconsistent. I don't know that they can count on the kid that they drafted. It's sometimes it works out like that, but they didn't have a lot of money to spend. So they weren't able to go out and fill, fill some of the needs that they have. So they're going to have to get by. The, the kid they got from San Francisco off waivers Wait, last year. Yeah. Reed. Oh, Reed, DJ Reed. Reed, yep. Yep. off waivers. He yes. was on the street. He yes. was hurt. Yes. It's not like he was valued by a whole bunch of teams, right? They right. probably got the most and best out of him last year as they're going to get. So I think, yeah, best they're treading water there. Okay. You said one of them. I got to follow up. I can't let you off the hook that easy. You said one of them. That's one of the problems. What's the other problem? Offensive line still? Well, I think, yeah, I think they have some weaknesses on offense. I think still at center, they've had to get by. And again, uh, Ethan Posick is what he is. I don't know that he's a center. Um, They did re-sign Chris Carson. I've always hoped that they would find a running back with a little more juice, somebody with a little more speed, somebody that can score from outside 40 a time or two. So there's some other things, but there's other, other issues with other teams as well. Okay. Yay or nay, Randy Mueller, the Seahawks as a team, are better right now as training camp begins than they were as the season ended in the playoffs a year ago? Mm, That's a tough one. Um, I don't think they're better because I don't think their depth is there. So therefore, I think they're probably slightly worse. Again, a lot of teams around the league have reduced cap and that came with reducing players reducing depth and depth's going to be an issue for some teams and i think the seahawks are one of them yeah or nay richard sherman ends up playing in the nfl at some point this season 2021 i would say nay mitch i just think he's in a tough spot he was having a hard time finding a match for him before the events of the last week i can't imagine this is going to make it any easier so i'm going to say nay what do you think of the nfl's vaccine proclamations in the last week teams potentially forfeiting games players potentially forfeiting salary i don't know if they can pull that off with the players association what do you make of all that well i think it's um it's obvious what they're trying to do. They're trying to regulate vaccines without regulating them, so to speak. I think it puts decision makers on football teams in tough spots because you've got to be a peacemaker. It's one more thing now that can divide your locker room. In fact, I wrote a piece today for Fox.com, uh, mm-hmm. the same type of thing. Uh, it's just 
you have certain elements that are polarizing. This is one of them. It becomes political. I think GMs and coaches now have got to find a way to make it not political and they've got to put team first. You've seen reactions from all kinds of players coming from all kinds of angles. Hopefully uh, the team first concept is the one that, that most of the teams abide by. It sure sounds like they are in Seattle because they're way ahead of the game when it comes to vaccinations. They should be lauded for that. Finish up with a thought on Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay or wherever and Deshaun Watson apparently reporting despite his trade demand because he doesn't want to lose the 50 grand a day that you talked about a few minutes ago, Randy. Yeah, I think Deshaun Watson reporting actually smart by him. I think he does regain some or, or at least hold some rights to his contract, uh, avoid a fine. I don't think there's any way he's going to play for them. I think at some point the league will step in and take that whole situation over. Mm -hmm. But I think the business decision for him, the right one was to show up like he did. Mm -hmm. I think Aaron Rodgers is in really for a rude awakening because I think Green Bay is going to play hardball with him. I wouldn't trade him if I was them. Um, he's going to decide if he wants to play or not. Um, why? And, and I see the, the, uh, negotiating by both sides, why would Green Bay reduce his contract back to one year and let him walk at the end of the year? That contract he has is value, Mitch. That's They've negotiated that. If they were to keep that, they'll trade him for two or three first-round picks. Why would they why would they give up two or three first-round picks to have Aaron Rodgers for one year? That doesn't make good business sense to me. So that's kind of my view on Aaron does Rodgers. He, I does, think. does he worry about his reputation if he walks back and, and goes – goes into Green Bay and plays football for the Packers? Does he have to worry about, oh, my God, what do I look like now after all of this? I don't know that he's going to show up. I think pride is an issue. I definitely think it's personal. I think for that to happen, for him to come back in, they would have to throw him a life preserver of some kind. I'm just saying I wouldn't let those last two years or three years on the contract go void. That's for sure. Right. So there will be some give and take if that happens. I sense that he won't show up. He'll stay out as long as he can, and he'll try to force a trade like Carson Palmer did week six or whenever it is in the NFL. He'll get back. Everybody says, oh, he's not going to get he's not going to give up 15, 20 million dollars. You don't think the Denver Broncos would give him 20 million dollars the day he shows up? He'll get the money back in one way or another. Some team that trades for him will recoup the money. It, it won't be as bad a business decision as, pe decision as people think. Randy Mueller, terrific, former GM of the year, front office person of the year, former player personnel guy for the Seattle Seahawks. You can hear him with Mike Sando during the football season on the Athletics Podcast. You can read him, as he just mentioned, on Fox Sports, and he's been a friend of ours for a very long time. I hope that we can, we can cut some sort of a deal and you won't hold us up for too much money so that we can have you on regularly during the NFL season, Randy. It's Tell so me in. I'm ready. It's I'd so, love to. It's so great to see your voice and your smile again. Thank you, Randy. Thanks, Mitch. Anytime. Hey, it's financial trivia time with Katie Versio, senior financial planner for our partner at Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back. I think I may have embarrassed myself with an 0 for 3 performance the last time. I'm ready to do better. Is there a theme to this? Yes, the theme today, it's a mid-year market update. Okay. I figured it'd be good to just check in. Okay. There's been a lot of movement and just see where things are. Okay, I'm ready. Question number one. All right, let's see how closely you've been paying attention to the market. The first one is an easy one. It's a true or false. Value stocks are outperforming growth stocks this year. I'll say true. Ding, ding, ding. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for the last... 10 years or so, growth has really outperformed. Those names like Amazon, Facebook, Google have 
really been doing well. And this year we've seen a little bit of a trend reversal. Some of those tech names have struggled earlier this year and value has outperformed. Okay. Question number two, I'm one for one. All right, so the next one is about inflation. So this is a very hot topic in the market today. What is the current one-year inflation rate from June 2020 to June 2021? So how much okay. have the cost of goods and services in the economy grown over that one-year period? Okay. Is it 1%, 2.5%, 4.6%, or 5.5%? Clearly it's over four. The question is, is it over five? I'll go C, four point, what was it? 4.6%, I think you gave me in C. Yeah, so that's actually incorrect. Uh. It's D, 5.4%. So this is a huge number. It hasn't been seen since 2008. Costs and goods and services have really been increasing. This is a big trend that our investment team is watching and we're really have been over the last six months or so repositioning portfolios to adjust for this new trend we're seeing. All right, still a chance for me to go 667, Katie. Lay number three on me. In 2021, what's the best performing asset class so far? Is it real estate investment trusts, energy, large cap stocks or financial stocks? Well, I think it's large cap stocks. Is that not right? I'm sorry, Mitch, that is incorrect. Oh. Most years it is large cap stocks and all of these asset classes have performed well, but the top performing asset class is energy this year. It's up over 40%. I'm sure your listeners probably experience that when they go to get gas. We sure do. Well, 0 for 3 last time, 1 for 3. I'm moving in the right direction. We love Katie Versio. We love Evergreen Golf Call. Everything wealth. So listen, Dan Black is the president of Zeke's Pizza, I think with 19 locations. I can't keep track. Tacoma, north to Bellingham, and more are coming. Dan, the footprint of Zeke's Pizza widens. Yeah, I can't keep track either. We're either at 19 or 20. We'll have to look on the website. But yeah, more coming too. Uh, Seward Park, White Center, and we're working on a deal in Spokane. So nice. keep your fingers crossed on that. That would be a nice extension east, obviously. The last few times that you and I visited, I've been meaning to mention, with the Northwest style pizza and beer selection getting all the spotlight at your places, I think the Levy family thinks that the chopped salad is underrated. We were at the Issaquah Highlands location the other day, my son and I, and we agreed that we could do on a visit to Zeke's a large chop split amongst the two of us. Does it do well? Yeah, the chop's one of our most popular salad, and, and the Black family and the president of Zeke's both agree <laughs> with you on the salads. Um, you know, again, like you say, they don't get a lot of attention, but they're awesome. And we have people that are just, they come to Zeke's for the salads. The chop in particular, you know, substantial. It's got salami on it, a lot of different toppings. And uh, that one's definitely shareable and it's substantial on its own. And so, yeah, definitely agree. The beer lineup is always a talking point for Zeke's. We know that. I understand there's another one being added to the list. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, we make a lot of beers every year with a lot of different brewing partners. Any given year, we'll release 9 to 12 on a seasonal basis. They come in and out over a three-month period. Every once in a while, we release one or land on one that when we take it off the list, people rebel. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had one of those last year called Lateral A IPA uh -huh. uh, with our partner in Single Hill out of Yakima. Anyway, people went crazy when that one left, and so we now have it on the permanent lineup. So you can now get cans of Lateral A anytime at Zeke's. Man, Zeke's Pizza is going strong. Don't forget to download the Zeke's Pizza app or Zeke'sPizza.com and have some great pizza and beer and salads delivered right to your door. Go to one of the 19, 20, 23, 30, 40 locations. <laughs> Zeke's Pizza's homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered.
12th pick of the 2021 MLB draft, the Seattle Mariners select Harry Ford, a catcher from North Cobb High School, Ackworth, Georgia. So I was checking out Harry Ford from North Cobb High School in Georgia. This guy's this guy's got it. He's got the he's got the arm, he's got the footwork, nice, quick, quiet hands, being able to receive the ball incredibly well. You know, a couple of weeks have passed since the Major League Baseball draft. Some surprises at the top. And the Mariners did something they've never done under Jerry DePoto. And that's a that's draft a high schooler in the first round. No one knows prospects and farm systems quite like Jim Callis, MajorLeagueBaseball.com, MLB.com, and, of course, MLB Pipeline. How are you, Jim? Welcome back. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing? It's, I'm doing well. Thanks for being back on the show There's nothing more impossible, Jim, than correctly predicting the MLB draft. It's easier to hit the lottery, I think. And I'm sitting here with your final mock draft in front of me. Tell everyone in our audience who you had the Mariners picking at number 12, Jim. Yeah, I I had Harry Ford going to the Mariners. You know, I'd I'd gotten some inkling that that was probably going to happen, even though, you know, the easy bet would have been to go with a college right-hander. Yeah. That would have been the way to go to fall turns. But, no, I I knew they really liked Harry Ford, and I was getting strong signals about that as the draft approached. Okay. But your colleague, Jonathan Mayo, in that same mock draft, doesn't even have Ford in the entire first round. And I've seen others – that don't have him in the first 30 or 35 picks. What should I make of that, if anything? Well, I think I would make of it that, as you said, projecting the draft is very hard. And really what was at play there was he's either – you know, I think, you know, Harry Ford, he signed – He's. I don't know if the signing's 100% official yet, but it's been reported uh, that he's going to sign for slot, you know, the full slot, $4.37 million there at 12. And with a lot of the high school guys, you can go one of two ways. You can get paid up high – like Harry Ford did, or if you like are going to slide a little bit, and, and you know, I don't know what his asking price was exactly. Let's let's just say it was in the vicinity of four to four and a half million dollars. That sometimes you get pushed down out of the first round. And in Jonathan's defense, he had the 13th pick correct, Andrew Painter to the Phillies, who's a high school pitcher, and I did not have Andrew Painter in my first round. And then I don't think in either case he was saying that Ford wasn't a first rounder, or I was saying that Painter wasn't a first rounder in terms of talent. I, I just thought Painter was going to get paid by somebody later and he got paid up top. My, and that's what happened with Harry Ford, too. Okay. My skepticism over the years, Jim, when I see a catcher, a young catcher selected high, my antenna go up because I wonder whether a guy like like Ford or anybody else remains a catcher his entire career because we know if he's such a great hitter, what catching does to you over the course of time. The Mariners say, no, 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 he's a catcher. What do you think? Yeah, well, the high school catching demographic is probably the riskiest demographic in the first round. If like, I'll give you with a, I'll hit you with a scary stat here. I'll give you a quiz. Okay. So the last catch high school catcher taken in the first round, who stayed at catcher and accrued five wins above replacement, which is not a high total. Who do you think the last oh high school God. first round catcher to do that was? I have no idea. It was Joe Maurer, but he was the number oh, one overall pick. Sure. And he's kind of a unicorn with his athleticism. That was right. 20 years ago. If you don't count Joe Maurer, you have to go back to Jason Kendall, which was 29 years ago. Oh, boy. Now, that said, there are other high school catchers 
drafted in the first round who've had successful careers, and they've been guys who were not drafted solely because of their catching ability. They were drafted because they were athletic enough to play other positions, and they had promising bats, and, and that's Harry Ford's profile. He, He's got to be the fastest catcher in this year's draft. He can run a 6-4-60. He did that last summer, and I had one scout liking him versatility-wise, I'm not putting him in the Hall of Fame yet, but versatility-wise to Craig Biggio. This guy could play catcher, he could play second, he could play center. He's got solid-to-plus arm strength, and he's obviously fast. You, you could play him pretty much anywhere in the diamond you wanted. And you know, he's, he's got strength and leverage in his swing, so I think he's going to have power. And he's got a track record. I mean, it's an aggressive approach, but, but he made good contact against the best pitchers in the country on the showcase circuit. So you're not just getting a a defensive-minded catcher where you're worrying about the bat or you're not just drafting a bat, but there's not really a chance he's going to stay behind the plate. I mean, this guy has a chance to do both. He's, he's, he's pretty unique. They did not pick him too high if he signs, correct? No, and he will sign. I, I think that announcement's coming any okay. day now. And then, okay. and, 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 you know, he went – we had him ranked – I mean, again, not the teams are drafting off of our rankings, but we had him ranked as the 13th best player in the draft, and he got drafted 12. So he went, he went where he should have gone on talent. You just sometimes see high school guys uh, – you, you can see him pushed up and they sign below slot deals, or you can see him pushed down and they sign above slot deals, and he just happened to get picked where, where he belonged. As I mentioned, Jim, Jerry Depoto has not – drafted a first-round high school player, I think, since he has gotten here to the Pacific Northwest. So I'll ask the question because we're not used to it as Mariner fans. How long for a high school guy, typically a first-round draft choice that's 17 or 18 years old? Are we talking five years, six years? What do you think? I'd say four for a first-round pick. I mean, he's going to have to polish up his catching like any high school catcher would. But, I mean, I think realistically, you know, you're looking sometime in 2025. He'll be 22 that year. Okay. So I think that's kind of where, you, where you'd set the okay. ETA right okay. now. And before we get too far along, Jim, where currently does the Mariners' farm system sit? I read top five. I read top ten. I don't know how it works with Kelnick and Gilbert now on the Major League Baseball roster. I guess you have to you have to take them away from the farm system of the Mariners when you're ranking them. Well, well, we count guys as prospects until they graduate from rookie status. So Kelnick has not yet. Gilbert has. I, I think it's a top five system. I mean, you still have the best combination of hitting prospects in the game in Kelnick and Rodriguez, and you've got more pitchers behind Gilbert coming up and Hancock and Kirby, and then you've got Noel V. Marte, who, who's just getting going and Juan 10 or, or some of the younger guys. They've got a nice balance of hitters and pitchers and, and talent sprinkled throughout their system. So Jared Kelnick's a lot better than he was, you know, in his first taste of the big leagues. I, I yeah. you know, I don't know exactly what happened there. Um, but he, but that guy, I, I don't think there's any way, I don't see any way that Jared Kelnick's not going to be a star, despite the slow start. And I'll just remind people who might be listening to that going, what, what are you talking, you know, Alex Bregman started off one for 35-2. And he's, he reminds me kind of of Alex Bregman. He, he, he's got that kind of, you know, kind of bad potential, I think. If you could buy stock in one of the two guys, Rodriguez and Kelnick, or Kelnick, which one would you buy stock in for your family, Jim? I would buy it in Kelnick, although if I had to pick second and you stuck me with Rodriguez, <laughs> I'd be fine with that. I, I just If I'm going to separate the two, I think Kelnick is a little bit more athletic, and I think he's a little bit better hitter, while I think Rodriguez has a little bit more power. But like, if it's going to be close, I'll bet on the guy who's a little bit better hitter. Like you could, you could honestly flip a coin, and, and I mean, if you ask that question to people in the Mariners system, I think they'd be split right down the middle. Yeah. Let's talk about the rest of the draft for the Mariners, if you have any thoughts. 
Edwin Arroyo, a Puerto Rican high school player, signed. High school right-handed pitcher Michael Morales was next. So it looks like uh, it took them till the fourth round to take a, a college player. And then I think the next 17 picks that the Mariners took were, were college college guys. What do you think of these uh, top three or four? Yeah, with other two high school guys, and, and they both got over slot bonuses, Morales by a considerable amount, and, and that's why they they went kind of cheap, you know, a little cheaper after that. But you know, Royo is one of the best shortstops in the draft, one of the best defensive shortstops, switch hitter, switch thrower, if that ever comes into play. Needs to get stronger, but I, I think there's some offensive potential too. But but his glove and his arm are are, are his main selling points. And then you know, Morales is kind of your. You're your typical upside high school pitcher. You know, he can run his fastball up to 94, 95. He can show you a plus curveball. Uh, he's got a, you know, solid change up. You know, he just needs time to, to get consistency. But but all those guys are pretty good. And, and I like Bryce Miller, too. You know, Miller's a guy at A&M who, who's kind of bounced around from reliever to starter, finally got in the rotation full-time this year, and, and kept his velocity. I mean, he's 92, 96. He'll hit 98. He's, he's got great fastball analytics, and he's got got a, a pretty good curveball and a, and a heavy changeup. So, uh, you know, I, I like their draft. I like what they did. Outside of the Mariners, Jim, what were the first-round storylines? I think I saw were 24 of the 29 selections were either pitchers or shortstops. That seems odd to me. Um, yes and no. Look, pitchers are always getting drafted, and you're drafting up the middle players. So, I mean, maybe a little bit more – uh, the normal, but I mean, you know, you look at the, you know, the three outfielders that got drafted, they all play center field and the other two guys were catchers. So literally everybody was up the middle or, uh, you know, up the middle or a pitcher. So, you know, I, I think there were a number of storyline. You know, I think the biggest storyline was guys bounced all over the place. Like I was alluding to as to where they would go. You know, the pirates wanted to take a legitimate guy at one, but they were also going to look to see what they could do financially. They took Henry Davis, who we ranked fifth, and then they, they, they went crazy, you know, getting, you know, quality talent so that they're going to be above slot bonuses with their next three picks. Um, you know, but you had, you know, Marcelo Meyer, who I thought was the best player in the draft, went fourth to the Red Sox. You know, the, the high school shortstops were a strength of this draft, but they all slid a little bit um, I, for financial reasons. I think they're all going to get paid, but Jordan Lawler, who we had ranked third, went sixth to the Diamondbacks. Brady House went 11th to the Nationals. Cleo Watson went 16th to the Marlins. So that was unusual um, a little bit. Um, you know, Jack Leiter, the best pitcher in the draft, went two. You know, the consensus best pitcher went two. The Rangers, but Kumar Rocker, who – is good, but I'd also suggest he's a little bit more famous than he is good, and everybody thought, you know, fans were like, oh, this guy is going to be top one or two pick. He went 10th to the Mets, and, and honestly, he kind of fit in that 6-10 to 10 range, and teams 7, 8, 9 all cut discount deals with players, and so that kind of took him out of the mix, but, but those were some of the main storylines. Before uh, we finish with the Mariners, I forgot to ask you about uh, Emerson Hancock. You mentioned him as part of the depth of the Mariners' farm system. He was obviously a former first-round draft choice, and we've got Logan Gilbert here who's been pitching just tremendously in his first, uh, you know, six or seven or eight starts. Hancock and Gilbert, how about that for a one-two punch 
in uh, in you know three or four years' time. That could be pretty good. It could, and and don't sleep on George Kirby either. You know, okay. I'd, okay. Uh, you know George Kirby's got good stuff. He's a first round pick. He throws a ton of strikes. I mean, look, I mean, you don't necessarily hit on all your pitching prospects, but right now, I mean, every indication from those guys is really good. I mean, that could be the core of their rotation for a while. Jim, do you believe in the M's contention right now as we speak? Five, six games over five hundred. A lot of us think it's smoke and mirrors, and they're making decisions, obviously, over there on whether they should be buyers or sellers at the uh, trading deadline. Yeah, I, I, I definitely – if you if they could do something without sacrificing quality prospect talent that might upgrade the team, okay, sure. I, I think it's, it's – I, I, you know, I'd say it's more smoke, smoke and mirrors than, than true contention. I mean, they've been outscored by, what, 55 runs. They should probably be five games under 500 at least than, than five games over. Um, I, I don't think they're going to do anything – crazy. Um, I don't quite know how they're doing it, but, but it's worked so far. And I mean, the other thing to keep in mind too is, well, yes, I think they're they're the next team out tied with the Yankees of the wild card race. They're the, you know, they'd be the third wild card if there was one. Mm-hmm. They're also four and a half games back, and I would submit it doesn't seem like a ton, but four and a half games is actually a sizable margin, you know, 100 games into the season. So, like, they're not you know, they have a chance, but I mean, I, I don't think it's a real good chance. So I, I, I would not think they're going to go too crazy trying to, um, trying to you know, make moves for the playoffs. Jim, I've been a big fan of yours from afar for a very long time. MLB.com, MLB Pipeline. Jim Callis knows the prospects, knows the farm systems better than anybody. Always been kind to us both on the radio, back in the radio days, and here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Jim. Great to visit with you. Have a great rest of the summer. Yeah, you too. Take care, and, uh, and we'll talk again soon. Maybe there'll be, there'll be a playoff team in the near future. <laughs> You know, July is an exciting month for so many reasons. The world continues its surge back to normalcy. Restaurants in the Pacific Northwest returning to full capacity. So here's Daniel's CEO, Lindsey Schwartz. Lindsey, what can you tell us about Daniel's broiler? Yeah, Mitch, we're super excited to be at 100% capacity finally. The summertime's always a great time of year for us, so, so it's a really exciting time. Now we just need more people to come to work now that we've got the expanded <laughs> demand. We need we need more team members. Now hold on a second. I hear you have a, a new all-star busboy at the Bellevue location named Movie Mogul Max. How's he doing? And tell us a little bit about, more importantly, the positions that you have available and how people go about applying for those positions. Yeah, you know, Max is doing a, a great job, and everybody likes him, which is surprising, <laughs> you know, based on who his dad is. But, uh, yeah, he's doing great, and, yeah, we need more hardworking people like him out there. We've got lots of opportunities at every location, whatever people want to do. There's jobs in the kitchen, front of house, servers, bartenders, bussers, front desk. So, really, it's anything, and, and we've got part-time, full-time, looking for people who just want to come and uh, get some during the summer or make a career with us. Anything goes right now. Danielsbroiler.com. And tell us about the old-fashioned mixer on Amazon. How's that doing? And I understand there's maybe an expansion of sorts. 
Yeah, it's been amazing the success that we've had with the Old Fashioned Mixer on Amazon these past few months. And uh, we're launching three more varieties, a Whiskey nice. Sour, a Kentucky Mule, a Lavender Martini. Those should all be up on Amazon any minute if they're not already. And uh, also you'll be able to now find them on the shelves at all of the QFC stores. Okay, so great news from Daniel's Broiler. And they are looking to hire for all positions, full-time and part-time positions. Go to danielsbroiler.com and click the employment tab. We love Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Lots of ground to cover on the other stuff segment with uh, Hotshot Scott. Lots going on. Yes. Did you see who decided to show up to the old training camp? Because maybe their clout isn't quite what it used to be. Deshaun Watson? He sure did. Well, he's going to. You mean he's going to? Yes. He's, he's expected. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 50 grand a day will do that to you. It will. Yeah. Well, combined with your clout might not be what it once was. No. <laughs> I mean, if he, no. let's say none of these allegations came out and he was squeaky clean. Yeah. Is he showing up? No. No, he's not, is he? I don't think so. <laughs> now he's got the tail I between he, the legs. I, well, first of all, I think he is showing up because he wouldn't be in Houston. He'd be on, like, the Miami Dolphins showing up oh. at the Dolphins training. Yeah, right. That's yeah. true. Will Jamal Adams show up at Seahawks training camp this week if he doesn't have a new contract? What are your buddies uh, Joe and Brady saying about it? What? Haven't asked him. Can't okay. find him. Um, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that he would show up to training camp without a new contract. And he gets fined as what I mean, it's fifty thousand a day. Well, yes, it's fifty thousand dollars a day if you're under contract. Okay. And he's under contract for one more. Don't forget, and Randy Mueller points this out in that in that interview that we just did a couple of segments ago. Um, he it's not Jamal Adams is scheduled to make like nine point eight million dollars this year. He's no pauper. <laughs> he's not okay. in a bread line. He's, if, not, yeah. <laughs> he's not making a couple hundred grand. I mean right, he's making nine point eight million. Now he, he wants more and they should give him more. And it's it's pretty simple. They want to give him. I love the, I love the breaking story on ESPN this week. Did you see that? The bottom line breaking story. A uh, breaking news: Seahawks prepared to make Jamal Adams highest paid safety in NFL history. Yeah, like um, uh, <laughs> none. We didn't know that, right? <laughs> okay, that's not the issue. But you can prepare for yeah for anything you want. I'm prepared to have abs in a week. That's you know I'm always prepared we, we, for it. We know we know that the Seahawks are right now today. The Seahawks and Jamal Adams can come to an agreement if Jamal Adams is willing to take the highest paid safety money of all time. That's the is not the issue. He doesn't want. That's right. not enough. Right. If the highest paid safety makes sixteen million and they offer him sixteen and a half million. So far, that's not good enough. Right. I want to be paid like a pass rusher. I was the leading sack man on <sighs> your team last year. Who'd have thought that that utilizing a player to the best of their abilities could come back to bite you in the ass? Blitzing him all the time. Now it's going to cost gonna you more money. Ass. No, not him. The team. Not going to not going to bite the team but in the ass. If he didn't have any sacks, if you never blitzed him on that, he couldn't yeah. be, he couldn't be holding out for this kind of money. You know what? If if they if he didn't have any sacks, he wouldn't be entitled to the highest safety money because he's just so so as they say in uh, coverage. Yeah, I guess it kind of so goes hand in hand, yeah. So the sacks kind of cover up the the coverage deficiencies, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. Yeah. Who so, is the one? Joe Fan knows what you mean too. Oh, everybody says it. <laughs> I mean, everybody who watches Jamal Adams outside of one person Jamal, Jamal Adams, Adams. <laughs> um, will tell you that he's not great in pass yeah. coverage. 
but he is great against the run. He plays with a, a motor that never ends. And, yeah, he got eight or nine or ten sacks last year. Yeah. They need those eight or nine or ten sacks. Yeah. What, are you, what are you giving me that face I didn't face like for? the fact that the best pass rusher is a safety. You got, Can they we find a D lineman anywhere or an outside line, something? Answer, No. So you got to have uh, safety. You got to have. You got to get the pass pressure from somewhere. Just putting a lot of miles of on course, that guy. Of I course. don't like it. It's of too course. much. Of yeah. course. All right. Where are we going? All right. Texas and Oklahoma want to leave the Big Twelve for the SEC. Saw that. What do you think about that? I think it'd be interesting, but uh, wouldn't be good for the Big Twelve. Uh, no. <laughs> Who's left? <laughs> Oklahoma State. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That would be a brutal. Texas conference. and Oklahoma. Nelson Cruz, your old buddy. The oh, seat yeah. swiper. Uh, Nelson Cruz was traded from the Twins to the D-Rays. Did you see that the other day? No, I didn't. Yeah, he was – I guess it's not the D-Rays anymore. They're, the, they're just the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays. Okay. 40 well, – you remember him as a Seattle Mariner. Yeah, sure. 41 years old. That's crazy. Batting 290 with 21 home runs and 52 RBIs. I remember – when he was here in the in last year that he was here, we were wondering, you can't give that guy a contract extension. Uh, he's, he's too old to give a... <laughs> yeah. He's 13 points higher batting average than any member of the eight games over 500 Seattle Mariners. Yeah. Is he playing right? every day, though, or is he... Yeah, he's playing every... He's a DH. <sighs> he DHs every day. He's hitting 290 yeah. with 21 home runs. He's 52 RBIs. He's 41 years old. He would be... The highest batting average on the Mariners. He'd be the second in home runs to Mitch Haniger, and he'd be third in RBIs behind Haniger and um, the, the 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 veteran third baseman Seager. Yeah, Seager. No sense in having Seager. those. <laughs> oh, Kyle's a hell of a player, I tell yeah. you. Yeah, yeah no, no sense in having those numbers around on the Mariners. Who huh? needs them? And before you say, well, he wouldn't be doing it here. He did it here. <laughs> That's right. Okay. <laughs> you remember when they going into the season when they had him? They had Cano and Felix just oh, killing it. I remember yeah. thinking, oh, yeah. they got the big three. This is the year. This is the year. All you got to do is plug in a few decent players. Just plug them right in. Just couldn't, just no can do. Uh, just never even sniffed it. No. Hey, my wife asked what happened to Felix. I haven't looked. Is he? Did he sign a minor league deal somewhere? Or did he just? I thought he did, but I thought he's hurt. Oh, okay. I think he's hurt. All right. I yeah. just wondered if he, he no, might he have a miraculous finished. comeback too. Another Mariner. No, I don't count on that. Okay, I won't. Yeah. What All do you right. got? Am I up? If you want, I can go. Yeah, keep, keep going. Chandler Jones is unhappy with his Cardinals contract. You know who Chandler Jones is? Yeah. One of the top pass rushers. You want a, a true blue yes. pass rusher that's not a safety? Chandler Jones is unhappy about his Cardinals contract. And I, for one, as a Seahawks fan, thinks he should march right into the Cardinals <laughs> front office and say, I'm not playing in either Seahawks game. <laughs> right. <Okay? laughs> yes, that's a because good idea. Because he's bad for Russell Wilson's health. Yeah. And our offensive line's health. So you're, are I you say our? I didn't. Are you bringing this up because he might be available? No, no, no. He's not going to be available. No, no he'll no. be there. He, he's, he might hold out. He might not. 50 grand a day. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's a yeah. lot of money. You want a Trevor Bauer update? Sure. Him and his attorney showed up to an L.A. courtroom on Friday, making it clear they're ready to fight, fight the fight, pitchers, fight. Yeah. assault uh, yeah. accusers' allegations. So, yeah. yeah, we'll see. He just said uh, the Dodgers – well, and by the way, you don't expect him to – Take the stand because his lawyer made it clear that he will be taking the Fifth Amendment if, in fact, he is called to the stand. So don't the, bother. The pictures are not good for him. Oh, you you saw them eventually. I have. Yeah, it's yeah. It that doesn't it's not, bode it, well. No, it no. doesn't. It doesn't. You know, pictures don't tell the whole story. Who knows? Yep. It's a he said she said deal. Yep. But the pictures are not yep. good for him. No. Yep. No. Her face looks like that for a reason, yeah. regardless of whatever else happened. So yep. you did Deshaun Watson. I did Chandler Jones. How about Michael Hendricks? Remember when we – do you remember Michael Hendricks when he was at the Seahawks? 
linebacker, really athletic oh, yeah, linebacker, yeah, yeah. running side to side. Yep. I think he played next to, you know, Wag. He was it was Wagner and KJ Wright and Michael Hendricks. Yeah, yeah. And we were all here in Seattle wondering, geez, when are we going to? Remember, he was busted for insider trading. Do you, oh, do you that's recall? right. Yeah. yeah. And he, while he was here for the Seahawks, we wondered. We were like crossing uh, our fingers that they, it wouldn't. Is he going to last the year? Right. Yeah. Are they going to come down and sentence him? Is the NFL going to suspend him? What's going to happen? We were in the middle of a season. Remember all that? Of course. And we waited and we waited, and they kept on putting the sentence back and, and pushing it back and sentencing. They've sentenced him. Okay. One day. He's getting one day. What? And not that I'm disappointed with that because I, I like Michael Hendricks. I'm yeah. glad he's only getting one day. Sure. But it certainly reminds me of Randolph and Mortimer Duke. After all of that, one dollar? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we went the whole movie. Right. And at the end, they're yeah. in the bathroom and he pays him one dollar. That's what Michael Hendricks thing Completely is. Completely ruined a man's life for one dollar. <laughs> one dollar. Yeah, after all that. By the way, don't those two make an appearance in another Eddie Murphy movie where they're yes. homeless? Yes. What movie is that? Yes. Am I made? Did I dream that? No, you did not dream that. It, they are deaf. They make a cameo. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, is it uh, coming to America? Maybe. 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 But yeah. yeah. Where, where like he hands him a bunch of cash. He goes, Mortimer, we're back. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. It just hit my yes. brain. I've never seen that in my life. <laughs> That's Angel so great. Does. I've never seen what that does to kids. Yeah. Uh, I miss the days in movies where cops could instantly taste any drug and tell you exactly what it was. <laughs> they had the greatest palates of all time. Oh, that's some good stuff right here. All right. I feel like this. we're going to be seeing more of these stories, but you saw the Minnesota Vikings assistant coach. Please put your right hand into the pocket of the person sitting next to you oh, yeah. and remove their bill. <laughs> You've seen that movie a lot of times, haven't you? <laughs> there is a marked with an X. $100 bills that we planted. Remember that? Oh, no, yeah. They completely <laughs> set them up. I know. It's awful. It's like your nightmare. Uh, okay, go ahead. I'm All right. Sorry. But I feel like more of these stories are going to start coming out. But what? Minnesota Vikings assistant coach Rick Dennison. Yep. yep. You yep. feel like we're going to see more of these stories about people who just don't want to get vaccinated, but know. their employers. Well, they're already they seeing the stories how the NFL is saying, hey, if you have to, if you have to. If you can't play because you have unvaccinated, is it unvaccinated? Is I that think the word? So, yeah. Unvaccinated players and you can't play a game and we postpone it, you're going to forfeit it. Yeah. A and we're not going to pay you. Right. A week's salary. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's still big stakes. Yeah, I mean, still going. But they, it originally came out that he's leaving or that they fired him. Well, now it turns out they're trying to keep him because the team released a statement Friday saying they're still in talks with the coach. So. Okay. And then another story about this was uh, who was it? DeAndre Hopkins. He said, I never thought I would say this, but being put in a position to hurt my team because I don't want to partake in the vaccine is making me question my future in the NFL. Remind me why people don't want to participate in the vaccine. Well, I think some people think it was rushed. It was very quick. We, so they're worried to get about it hurting them. Yes. Okay. They're worried about it being dangerous because we okay. sort of just kind it's of push it through. It's not just an anti-vaccine stance that I don't that take. Might, that might be part of it because yeah. I know there are anti-vaccine people yeah. even before COVID even hit. Yeah. You know, they don't want to vaccine, vaccinate their kids or any of that. But I think the big thing is, is that it was rushed. It was rushed pretty quickly. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you don't want to dig into this, do you? <laughs> but I, I, we're going to see more stories of this because it is a free country. But if your boss says you have to get it. Eh, well, you got to make a decision then. Shaquille Griffin's twin brother, Shaquem Griffin. Remember him? Love him. He's got a new home. Okay. He signed with the Miami Dolphins. Oh. Across the state from his twin brother who's in Jacksonville. Nice. So the Dolphins are giving him another shot. I think it's a long shot. Yeah. But they're giving him another shot. He's obviously the uh. most inspirational of stories for a lot of reasons. Crazy. 
But, uh, yeah, he lands in Miami after looking for a home, after leaving uh, the Seattle Seahawks. And what else did I – the Bill Russell's – oh, no, I don't want to do the Bill Russell story. I want to do this story. Arizona Cardinals rookie, Zavin Collins. Okay. He was the 16th overall pick linebacker out of Tulsa. He got pulled over last month, TMZ says. <laughs> and if TMZ says it, it's got to be true. Of course. He was going – 76 miles an hour and a 35-mile-an-hour zone. That's uh, that's instant prison. Dri- driving more than 20 miles over the speed limit requires automatic arrest. Yeah. He was pulled over. Camera footage has been released because, you know, we get to see everything. Everything, yeah. Your whole life's on tape. And he's on he's on tape pleading with the, with the police, <sighs> trying to... I've been cool, quote. I've been chill. Can you please... Please, sir, the linebacker said. I'm just saying, can you help me? Like, please, just show me a little bit of love. Please, God bless, please. And then did that, how'd that go for him? Didn't go well. With the cuffs on, you're yeah. usually yeah. not going to come off those yeah. cuffs. No. So he, but is that law really anything over 20s arrest? In Arizona. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. You go 25 over, you're, just, you're going to pr- jail? You're, you're I mean, just worried that you went 35 over coming over here from the well from the home run derby. Yeah, well, exactly. But <laughs> he doubled the speed limit. I know in the state of Washington, if you double the speed limit, then you get arrested for sure. But 20 this, over? This, I'm just Woo. reading. I, I don't know. I'm reading Scary. the article. It says 20 miles over the speed <laughs> right. limit. Just he, checking. he doubled, but he doubled it. So, Yeah, he, yeah. he doubled it. Yeah. I mean, and he could be punished by the NFL, by the way. Right. And he's supposed to be a, like an instant day one starter at linebacker oh, for the Cardinals, so he start. might be uh, in trouble. And then the uh, the last one that I have, I have one more. I thought you were going to talk about your, your golfers who uh, are out of the Olympic golf tournament after both testing positive for COVID-19. Bryson DeChambeau? Correct. And? John Rahm. John, oh, he did? He yeah. Did. Wait a second. He already tested po- he tested positive at the memorial at Jack's tournament and they they just they decued him. What do you uh, He's tested positive for again? COVID-19 for the second time in 2 months on oh Sunday. Oh my god. Yeah. He will not be replaced on the Spanish team and he has been double vaccinated, I believe. Okay. So, yeah. I mean whatever that means. Well, yeah. I mean you can still get it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I might have it right now. So, DeChambeau and John Rahm are out of the Olympic golf tournament. Okay. It seems like more of these are happening. Is it just me or an asteroid is about to pass Earth again? Stop with the asteroids. It's traveling 18,000 miles an hour. They always are traveling 18,000 miles an hour. Well, it's supposed to come as close as 2.8 million miles to our planet. Now, in NASA ease, it's labeled an Apollo, which is a near-Earth designation. But we should be okay at 2.8 2.8 million miles away, but for some reason they they say it's near Earth, but it's really not. Why does it sadden me when I hear stories like this? Bill Russell, Hall of Famer, to auction off his NBA memorabilia. Hate it. I hate it. I don't know why it saddens me. It I hate it say, with well, actors. Why should I be sad? Well, you just feel like these people give so much of their lives for our entertainment. They should just be taken care of somehow. I don't have the answer. I don't I'm not know who saying they- that he's not. I'm not saying he needs the money. Oh, I never said he needs the money. That's what I'm taking it as. Take it as you'd like. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. Oh, okay. Bill Russell to auction off his M- NBA memorabilia, and I have an item that I want. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay. It makes me sad. I, it, it, I'm, a, I'm assuming that he's okay financially. He just has said, look, I've had a, a lifetime. I guess this is what they all say. I've had a lifetime with these things. I want to share my possessions with the world. I'm not getting any younger. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Does he want to share them with the world, or is he running out of money? I mean... I- he, amongst the things that will be auctioned off by the Hunt Auction Group, 
1957, which was his first of 11 rings. Ooh. His 1969, which was his last of 11 rings. I'd like to know what would happen to the, the other nine in the middle. Yeah. Uh, four of his five NBA Most Valuable Player trophies he's auctioning off. His 1956 U.S. Men's Basketball Olympic gold medal. Wow. That's hot shot when the college players used to play. Yeah. Which they should still when be the doing. rest of the world were shooting in peach baskets that's, still. That's, that's why they won that's every correct. year. Yeah, yeah. So that, but then there's this one. Here's the thing that everybody's wondering what the value is. He is auctioning off a letter that Jackie Robinson wrote to him after Robinson, after he and other Black Celtic players boycotted a game in Lexington, Kentucky, after being denied service at a hotel. So I, I can't remember the year, but Bill Russell and other Black members of the Celtics could not get service at a hotel okay. so they didn't they didn't uh they didn't play in that game that night and jackie robinson penned wow. a very emotional personal letter to him and sent it to him and that's out, up for auction that's, imagine that so was the sentiment of the letter hang in there yeah like, i'm trying to thank you yeah yeah, yeah. Ugh, that's yeah. really cool are you able to read the letter be like before you buy it or do you have to just <laughs> what do you? What do I look like? Well, I mean, is, is the what whole the letter online where we I'm can read it? Or? I'm reading you the story that I read. What do I know? I, I, I want to read I the letter. Know. I want to read the sentimental well, letter Paul before I buy it. Bill Russell, he's in Mercer <laughs> Island. You know, when I worked at McDonald's as a senior in high school, I yeah. my boss there used to be married to Bill Russell's son, and they got a divorce. So, really? but she still had the last name Russell. Was his name Bill Russell? I think it was, and I don't think did he play. I don't think he played basketball, did he? I just pulled out a dat. Oh, I have a dat too. Would you like to know what guests are on this dat? Oh yeah. God, they're all the same. Uh, Jamie Moyer in <laughs> September seventeenth doesn't tell me the year. Jamie Moyer, Dennis Erickson, Davis Love the third. Wait, Dennis Erickson. Okay, so Seahawks coach. So we're talking like 97, 98 maybe. I don't know when he could have been uh, the coach of the ten different teams. Yeah, <laughs> Davis Love, Ryan Leaf. Oh, nice. Um, Junior Seah. Oh, yeah. Ryan Leaf, the second overall pick. Jeff Facero. Pitcher? Yep. Mike Timlin. Pitcher. Okay, pitcher. Joey Galloway, Wally Walker, Vin Baker, Eugene Robinson, Eddie George, and a Marv skit. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it says on there? <laughs> I was saying material back then. I haven't changed my material in 25 years. It's a lot of good guests. I'm just wondering, like, who did Graz have on? The Cougars backup center? I mean, what the hell? You just took everyone. Who, who, what were those guys having on? I don't know. Jeez. <laughs> All right, Terrell Pryor, he said he crashed his bike Thursday morning, flipping the thing twice. Have you seen this? It's pretty scary. No. You remember Terrell former, Pryor? For, former Seahawk that's Terrell right, Pryor. That's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so when you say, when I say bike, picture, it's it's like a three-wheel motorcycle that you kind of sit down in. I don't know. Oh. It, it, he An ATV or something? But it's a street legal one, Yeah. so it's not really an yeah. ATV. Yeah. But the thing flipped twice from, the, he says, from this dumbass chip in me, but he said, luckily, still breathing and a scratch. His bike Isn't this what happened to the, the former first-round pick, Malik McDowell? Uh, he was on an ATV. He was like okay. on a beach okay. or doing something stupid. Yeah. I want to. This is a street legal three wheel bizarre. Well, this, scary is, a, this thing. is a very sad show for you to be bringing that up because Greg Knapp. I'm assuming you have on the RIPs. Well, I thought we did it last show. I couldn't remember. Did we? I think you might have mentioned. No, it. I don't think he had died. La I, I may have mentioned it, but okay. Anyway. He died. Longtime offensive NFL coach. One time Seattle Seahawks yeah. coach. Very popular. 58 years old. <sighs> a bicycling enthusiast was out riding his bike. Got hit by a car. Yeah. He never regained consciousness. I thought his family's statement was so beautiful. It was very touching. Okay. They they wrote. 
those of us who were so blessed to have known Greg Knapp, him, know that he would have wanted even this moment to be a teachable one, says the family in a statement. Always so, a teacher. So this is it, dot, dot, dot. Live every day as if it's your last and love those all around you like it won't last, exclamation mark. That's what the family wrote uh, uh, touching. to announce his passing. Yeah. 58 years old. Right, right. Yeah, I like that they they said, oh, geez, he's just he was born to be a teacher, just always wanted to teach. he was the teach. Jets offensive coach at that point wow uh, on a bicycle of all things right by a car you get cancer you get all you know, all kinds of things can take you out and on a bicycle yeah. well i don't know how to transition from that into newport high school's own nicole young stop it just don't she was awarded or she, she was not awarded two million dollars <laughs> to month. succeed <laughs> i think she was actually i got her yearbook photo <laughs> um she was not awarded the two million dollars a month that she wanted instead she has to settle for three hundred thousand dollars a month from dr dre that'll be her uh that's her it settlement. 300 G's a month. She's going to have to somehow make it work, dude. It's belt belt tightening time around the old Cinnam- young household. Cinnamon Toast Crunch has gotten very <laughs> expensive at uh, QFC near Newport High School. It's so weird. It's it, Well, I don't think she lives in Newport <laughs> High School anymore. But it says it goes into effect August 1st, but it, it lasts until she either dies or enters into a domestic partnership. Yeah. But that's vague. Does that mean uh, if she gets a boyfriend, he doesn't have to pay? If she gets married? I mean, I guess it assumes if she gets married, he doesn't... Why would you ever get married then? Right? Why wouldn't you just forget it? I'm not getting married. I'm not going to. Is that what that. Can get she have on a the boyfriend? Sh- get her on the show and we'll ask her. Yeah, I'm sure she's dying to, dying to talk about this. We'll have to pull the old Newport card, maybe. Yeah, maybe sure, that'll sure. help. Yeah. Yeah. He was also ordered to pay half a million dollars to cover her legal, legal bills. Okay. But that's less than the five million she first requested. Okay. All right. All right. That's it. That's all I got. We didn't talk about Cleveland. I mean, you want to. Cleveland Guardians? Yeah. I mean, they pulled out the big guns for the video. Did you watch it? Yeah, I saw it was uh, the Bosom Buddies guy. Wasn't He's it? done something since then. <laughs> yes, his name is Tom Hanks. <laughs> is he from Cleveland? It if I knew the other guy's name, I would have said it instead of Tom. S- Peter Scalari. Peter Scalari. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so. Why do a, I know that? Uh, why? The amount of stuff I wish why, I didn't know. Why do I know? Can I just take I stuff out of my head so, to, to open up some space for other stuff? I said I want a garage sale and get rid of all the stuff Please, in my head that I don't Peter need. Peter Scolari doesn't even know that he was in Bosom <laughs> That's right. He doesn't even know his own name. <laughs> I have another RIP. I don't know if you saw 93-year-old Jackie Mason. Yeah. I'm going to get that ant. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, he passed away on Saturday. The ant and the aardvark. Do you remember? Yes. Wasn't it like the cut-in of the, of the not Pink Panther? Was it the Pink Panther cut-in? Yes, it was Pink Panther. The I'm cartoon, gonna, yeah. I have to get that end. That's right, I'm yes. going to get that end. He yeah, was yeah. the voice of the yard bark. Did you know that story about, okay, so he got his big break. I thought this was interesting. In the Borscht Belt. Well, in 1960, he appeared on the Steve Allen show and he killed, all right? So that led to huge bookings at various clubs and regular right. TV. It's pretty funny. He, I thought he was very funny, but yeah. disaster struck. Did you know what happened to him on stage? So in 1964... He was on uh, Ed Sullivan's live show, but it was partially yeah. preempted by a speech by then President Lyndon Johnson. So when regular programming resumed, Mason was midway through his act and Sullivan was already counting him down with his finger, like one minute to go. Yeah. And he just got back on, you know? So yeah. Mason responded by looking at audience members and saying, here's a finger for you. Here's a finger for you. And so on. <laughs> and he was damaged goods after that. You don't mess with Ed Sullivan, uh, right? No. Yeah. Not, not back but then, he, he but he worked his it. way back. Oh, yes. sure. Took 20 years sure, to overcome sure. it. And he also made the movie, <laughs> the, the worst idea of all time. Oh no. What movie did he make? He made a what movie? Se- what sequel was he the star in? I should know this. I don't know. 
It's so obscure that you're probably going to tell me I didn't even know that there was a sequel out, but there was. Okay. Caddyshack 2. I actually, they. Jackie Mason. They sort of took over for Rodney. Like they needed another funny old guy. Yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. None of the people were in it. No, no, think. no one was in it. Yeah, no, 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 no Bill Murray. Shack too. I knew there was a Jackie sequel. Mason. <laughs> That's awesome. He's probably like, "Here's my break." Rodney was so big in the first one. This is going to be incredible. I got to get that end. But he, <laughs> he also had a one man show that ran on Broadway for two years. He yes, earned, earned I him saw a, it. You did. I did. Earned him a I've Tony. Him. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, he was also the voice of Rabbi Hyman Krustovsky, Krusty the Clown's dad on The Simpsons. So 90 had, something years 93 old. 93 years yeah. old. Yeah, yeah, he had a steady paycheck from the yeah. symptoms. Try it. It's symptoms. fun. I got to get that end. <laughs> I totally remember that for some reason. <laughs> All right. Do you want me to keep going or are we done? Uh, we're done. Okay. See you later. I mean, I have one more. I okay. Do. Let's do one more. Renato de Santa. Sounds like a soccer player. Well, he has implants under his skin to give him horns. He dyed his black. He dyed his eyeballs black. They're literally yeah. black. Yeah. He has a bifurcated a bifurcated tongue. Yeah. And the number 666 carved into his head and a row of titanium studs running back over his skull from his forehead. And he's also just covered in tattoos everywhere. But he's now taken his body modification journey one step further. The 41-year-old from Sao Paulo, Brazil, now has swaths of flesh peeled back between the Ooh. corners of his mouth Ooh. and ears. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. I was having a good time with yeah. the show well, today. The, it's called the Glasgow Smile, and it's created with a scalpel. He wanted to. Ew! Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. He, he said it's it, it's like. Um, where are you headed? Do you know where you're headed? Well, he you're says a little it's lost not, right now. He says it's not meant to be scary. You're taking it like it's, well, it's gross, gross and disgusting. It's gross. He says, in fact, um, some women consider it sexy. You should see the picture of this guy. And some women. Are- Consider my nose sexy. That's right. <laughs> Some. That's right. That's right. So this guy's getting action, apparently, and you aren't out there, everybody. Just remember that when you see this guy. Tattoos, head carvings, and skin peeling? Big deal. You should have seen me handle the swab up the nostril during my COVID test. <laughs> no problem. Tongue like a snake, evil eyes, and horns growing out of his head? Wait a second. Is this my ex-girlfriend? <laughs> and finally, if this guy gets a goddamn job before me, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Uh, That's it. All right, I'm, I get to I get to take an Uber home with no phone. What am I going to do for 20 minutes? It's going to be torture. I have to read a book. What is this? 1986. Ugh. You can't deal without your phone for 20 minutes. I, well, do I need to to to? Do you have an old one you can load up for? No, <laughs> I can play words with friends on the way home. <laughs> I just need some kind of screen action. Oh my god! I have my laptop. Maybe we have I'll medication for yeah, that downstairs if you want it. I, I probably should. Yes. Episode 100. What is it? 51. Sounds like it. 151. Yep. Was that even good? Hey, you want one more? Yeah, yeah, please give me one more. I gotta find my mini displayer because I kind of want to hear these. Do you want me to reach out and ask the uh, Gestapo at the old radio station if it's okay? Oh, stop it. It would be kind of funny. They don't like you either. Um, <laughs> what did I do to them? They fired me. I haven't done anything to them. Fish rules. Okay. Lee on the ATT, the trench coats. Fish Popcorn, Dick Vital, Vin Baker, and a Motown contest. Okay. The Trench Coats. You used to love them. I remember that. They, they, they changed from the Trench Coats to the Coats. Oh, they did? Yeah. Was it a Columbine thing? Or? Yes. Oh, it was? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just curious. They didn't want to offend anybody. All right. Well, there you go. If you listen to their music, you know that it's not offensive. <laughs> right. They're not offending anyone. They're not anyone. doing rap anytime soon. <laughs> no, they're not. All right. That's enough? Let's do it. One I think so. Yeah, sure. Okay. 151. Uh, have a good Uber ride. It's Thank you, folks. sir.